My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 61 of the show, kids, and this is going to be a big one, because we have two well, special books. That sounds like a smaller episode. Right. Two books instead of three does sound like a smaller episode. However, these are both king-size annuals, 72 big pages in each one. Yes, and we're going to go over in detail every single page. No, we're not. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Only on Spider-Man. Fantastic Four, we're going to blow right through. Yeah, but, we're going to talk about the stories and then like, you know, like, also there's this other stuff. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, the two annuals from 1964 being Amazing Spider-Man's first annual and the Fantastic Four's second annual. Yeah, so one came out like... In June, and then the next one kicks off July, essentially? Yeah, basically. Basically. I think we're kind of cheating the order a little bit, but it works. Yeah, there's no Strange Tales annual this uh, this year. They did their two, and that's it. Mm. Well, there is a Marvel Tales annual, but we're not covering that because it's all reprint. It is all reprint. It is worth mentioning, at least briefly, though, that this is the same Marvel Tales series that would go on to be the Spider-Man reprint series that we all got as kids. Um, okay. It starts out annual and eventually goes monthly. It starts out reprinting a whole bunch of crap and, and slowly narrows down to just Spider-Man issues. And it looks like, I didn't actually look it up, but Marvel Tales Annual looks like it's just um, the origin of all the characters we know and love right now. Yeah, it's just a bunch of origins. Reprinting those. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got Spider-Man, Hulk, both Ant-Man, Ant-Man, ha ha ha. <laughs> Ant-Man, and then also Giant-Man's first story, <laughs> Sergeant Fury. We got two Iron Mans. We have Iron Man's first story and then getting his new red and gold costume, and then Thor. So, Do you remember, do you remember when the Marvel Universe amalgamed with itself? <laughs> <laughs> Ant-Man was born. Ant-Man. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. <laughs> He's a cool exec with the heart of steel. He grows real big. You won't think he's real. There you go. Yeah. That's more dialogue than I remember of the actual song. Right. Um, okay, but we want to do uh, Spider-Man because that does have new content. Yes. Yeah, so right? much new so, content. That's my baby tonight. Lucky me. Um, or not because it's kind of a really dense uh, 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 summary. So I'll try and speed it up a little bit but anyway it's dated just plain old 1964 because it's an annual but it was on sale june 11th and everything's by steve ditko all the stories and all the things we're going to talk about are steve ditko art and stanley theoretically writing but the credits themselves say 41 pages of indescribable excitement written by Stanley, drawn by Steve ditko possibly the most talked about team in comics today and lettered by s rosen <laughs> um, and they are really, really loving this annual. They talk about it's the 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 appearance, the first appearance of the Sinister Six. So that's all over the cover. And then I think somewhere in here they say like it took a year to make this. I don't know if that's real or hyperbole, but um, so yeah, there's like these two big splashes full of captions and stuff like that. But to get to the actual story, we open with Doctor Octopus who is in jail from the last time they went at it and 
the prison or the doctors or the scientists or something have figured out how to remove his arms from his body. So if you recall before, they were grafted on there. And so he's always Dr. Octopus. Now he's Dr. Octavius with no arms. But what they don't know is that the accident also allows him to control the arms mentally. So even though they aren't uh, you know, connected to him anymore. He can just say, come to me arms. Come to me arms. That sounds uh, piratey. Anyway, and the arms show up and they let him escape from prison. And so that was kind of much to do about nothing, actually, now that I think about it. Um, anyway, meanwhile, Spider-Man's going around the city and he almost gets hit by Thor because this is a Spider-Man annual. And then at some point, he turns to Peter Parker and... Uh, He's confronted by Flash because Flash is really upset again that that Parker is dating Liz more often, I guess, behind the scenes. And he wants to fight him. But the fight is broken up by Doctor Strange's ectoplasmic form because this is an Amazing Spider-Man annual. Um, He turns back to Spider-Man and he senses danger from some dude that's just walking around, but he can't see his face. So he goes to confront the dude and all it is is a bunch of empty clothes. Why? Because really it was the Sandman who went down a gutter, but Spider-Man can't figure that out. Uh, so he goes home, kind of figuring, wondering what the heck that was about. He spies on Aunt May as Spider-Man before he goes into the house. He sees that she's kind of crying and looking at Uncle Ben's uh, picture, at which point we get a flashback of how the whole business went down with, as we know, Spider-Man not stopping Joe Chill from killing uh, 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 Uncle Ben. Because this is a Spider-Man annual. Because it's a Spider-Man annual. And I think maybe the first time since the original origin that we've had an origin. But I could be wrong. We'll talk about that. Um, Anyway, as he's lamenting that, he's on the rooftop as Spider-Men do. And he's just walking around when suddenly he kind of loses his balance and he starts to fall. And if not for a trusty trademarked uh, Marvel flagpole that he manages to grab onto, he would have died. His powers are gone. He can barely hold himself onto this pole. And because it's an annual, the Fantastic Four fly by. But they think he's just screwing around because Spider-Man's always full of shenanigans. So they just don't help him. And he, like, has to crawl his way back to the ledge of the building. And then he kind of, like, skulks his way home in his Spider-Man outfit on the ground, hoping no one sees him because he doesn't want to fight with anybody because he doesn't have any powers. Um, So inconveniently enough, while this is all happening, every villain that is awesome in his villain roster right now decide to get together. I don't know if they officially call themselves the Sinister Six, but they are the Sinister Six. This is all Dr. Octopus's idea, and he has this cool idea where he wants them all to confront Spider-Man one at a time in key locations that, like, help their powers or amplify their powers or support their powers, with the idea that eventually Spider-Man will tire out and won't be able to get through all of them, and hopefully someone will eventually beat him. Um, Let's see, what happens? Oh, then he runs into, like, Giant Man and Wasp and feels jelly because they are still superheroes and they're doing superhero things and he can't anymore. But at the same time, he's kind of sort of also happy that he can't do superhero stuff anymore because he's Peter Parker and Spider-Man is often uh, annoying to his life. So anyway, Aunt May is worried about him. So she goes to confront Betty thinking that maybe it's a girlfriend problem. And just at that moment, Electro kidnaps both of them. He's there for Betty, but he also grabs Aunt May. And uh, 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 what's his name? J. Jonah Jameson sees all this because Betty works for him. So that's where they're meeting. And he kind of freaks out. And the whole throughout the whole story, I'll just summarize this right now. Throughout the whole story, he's like trying to contact Spider-Man essentially to 
get Spider-Man to help or he's also trying to contact the police and he's trying to contact all these things and he tells everybody to leave him alone to the point where every other paper in the world scoops him on this whole business that he saw first. So that makes him really depressed and sad and haha comic moment. But anyway, uh, he does manage to contact the FF who in turn contact Captain America, uh, the Human Torch contacts, the X-Men. Nobody wants to really – nobody knows where Spider-Man is. And I guess nobody ever thought to bring up that, like, Betty needs help or anything because they're all just saying, where's Spider-Man? I don't know. So anyway, Spider-Man um, finds out via J. Jonah Jameson that Betty and Aunt May are kidnapped. He decides, even though he doesn't have any powers, he has to go where they tell him to meet. And he'll just die, I guess. First place is a power plant. And guess who's there? Electro. They start to fight. Um, and instinctively, he dodges the bolts and suddenly realizes, oh, I do have my powers and is very happy and beats Electro by um, grounding himself or something like that. Iron Man says, oh, it was a Stark factory. So, of course, Iron Man pops up and says, hey, what's going on? He says, oh, I'm sorry. You can arrest Electro. And then he goes on to the next location. So each villain has a card and you have to defeat the villain in order to get the card. This is very a video game. Yeah, it's a video game. (laughs) That tells you the next um, location. So the next location is a park or a junk, like a park. I don't know where it is, but it's got like two cheetahs or three cheetahs and a craven or something like that. Um, which doesn't really do a lot for Spider-Man. He kind of, I don't know if he, I don't actually think he beats Craven, but he uh, agiles his way to uh, uh, take the note out of his, out of his belt and just goes, moves on essentially. Um, He encounters Human Torch, who's been looking for him this whole time. Cause even though they kind of don't like each other, they're also best friends. And Human Torch is like, Hey, I'm just here to help you. Do you want me to help you? And he's like, no, I don't want you to help you. Cause even though you're my best friend, I don't like you. So they leave. Um, Aunt May and and Betty are being treated very nicely by a Dr. Octopus who's been watching a lot of James Bond movies or something because he's doing his best Dr. No impression, giving them tea and stuff. And Aunt May is super impressed with this very polite-mannered whatever person. Meanwhile, back at the uh, Spider-Man mission, he goes to his next spot, which is a room full of X-Men. And he's like, what? The X-Men? And they attack him. And he's shocked. But then it turns out once he punches Angel that like his head falls off, Angel's head falls off, and they're just robots. Oh, they're robots? Then I know who this is. And he rips open the wall, and he finds Mysterio and easily destroys him because Mysterio tries to do the gas thing again. It didn't work the first time. It's not going to work this time. Gets the next card in a weird, bizarre way we'll talk about. Um, goes to the next place, which is Sandman. Sandman has this gimmick where he lures Spider-Man into a box. So it's just him and Sandman in a box. And you'd think that'd be a bad thing for Spider-Man because Sandman's super malleable and can probably fight in a box better than Spider-Man. But it turns out no, because it's also <laughs> a box that had no oxygen and uh, Sandman needs oxygen, and I guess Spider-Man with his spider powers needs less oxygen, so he survived. Uh, Sandman passes out like a dork. And uh, on to the next. The next is the Vulture. I can't remember. Oh, Vulture like tries to lasso him, and he uses a lasso on the Vulture and uh, gets the last note. And he finally makes it to Dr. Octopus's random castle in New York City. I don't know. As you do. Dr. I guess Dr. Doom probably put that up at some point. Um, and he's fighting Otto Octavius, but Otto Octavius does not have his arms. So he's kind of got his defenses down, and then the arms attack him from behind. Uh, but Spider-Man manages to punch the Doc anyway. Doc runs away, lures Spider-Man into this tank of water, and then puts on scuba gear 
and attacks Spider-Man in the water because you can't defeat an octopus in its natural environment. Right, guys? So even though that sounds bonkers, it actually kind of works because Spider-Man's drowning and the arms won't let him come up for air. So finally, in a desperate move, he like just undoes all his webbing, just lets it fly, and it's everywhere. And it kind of, you know turns into like a cloud of webbing in the water and tangles up the arms enough for him to get out. Uh, which point, I guess Dr. Octopus drowns or something. I don't know. I can't remember what happens to him. But he finds Betty and Aunt May and he tells them that the police are coming and then he skedaddles. And he comes back as Peter Parker and he says, hey, is everything okay? I was so worried about you, Aunt May. She's like, oh, I had a wonderful time at Dr. Octopus's tea party. And he's like, gosh, I was worried this whole time and you were having a great time. That's crazy. Um and then it cuts to J. Jonah Jameson, who's still upset about being scooped because he was too busy worrying about Betty and Aunt May. And then it cuts to the prison where all six of Spider-Man villains have been um, rendered weaponless and are kind of just lounging around in the common quarters, I guess, and complaining about Spider-Man. The end. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that was a long one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. I mean, Spider-Man's kind of always a lot, I feel like, when we summarize him. <laughs> I have a really, I have a really hard time skipping over things because mm-hmm. I feel like they're all important things. Uh, whereas some stuff, like if you're, if we're covering Giant Man, I don't really care about their conversation sometimes. Right. Um, but here, so now it's like extra pages and still the same kind of subplots and stuff. Plus, they're throwing in like random appearances to show that they have a Marvel universe. Yeah, I feel like they were really proud of this annual. And really, I think both annuals are something to be really, really proud of. Um, Mm -hmm. But they advertise every single other comic in this book. Yes. And it's hilarious. The only only Marvel Universe book that doesn't get advertised here is Sergeant Fury, for obvious reasons. And Daredevil, but he's new. Oh, yeah, Daredevil. Oh, yeah. But he, they probably had this finished before Daredevil 1 came out. Yeah. Um, Craven just happened like a month earlier, but I could definitely see how like they might have planned this and the Craven story around the same time and worked on them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also like, I mean, if you're doing a Spider-Man read through, this is, this is a, maybe your first really big milestone. It's a major, major story for early Spidey history. Yeah. I was thinking like when I was a kid or collecting comic books, I never really loved annuals. Mm-hmm. They felt like this kind of this obligation on both sides. Um, or they were always like part of a crossover that I wasn't going to collect all of anyway. So it was just like this random story that meant nothing to me. Um, but this I could see being pretty dang exciting if you were collecting Spider-Man and this came out. Yeah. Because like all his – not every villain. I actually thought it was every villain. But then they actually show you every villain later. And it's like, oh, there was quite a few missing. But all the really good ones, I think, the prominent ones – um, are in this. And then you get a flashback to the origin, which you may or may not have missed, you know, a year ago. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The cameos are awfully forced, but they're kind of fun. They are very forced, but I, I, I agree. They're fun. Um, they, they have absolutely no reason to be there for the story. They're as no. contrived as anything, but they're also delightful. Yeah. Um, the, um, Ditko, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say Ditko's art, just to get that out of the way, like on par with, most of his good uh, Spider-Man art. But what I, what's interesting about Ditko is he's not really a splash page kind of guy. He's always a, you know, get as many panels on the page as you can kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So then in this book, though, every encounter in the video game, every level, there is one splash page. Right. Of Spider- Spider-Man fighting the bad guy. And it was kind of neat to see Ditko allowed to, like, open up 
and do like a poster, like six or seven posters in here, essentially. Yeah, and they're really they're really fantastic. I kind of wish that we had like versions without the copy. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, I don't think they've ever been produced either, you know, digitally or, you know, reconstructed or whatever without all of the word bubbles on them. But I would love that. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'm thinking. I don't know. Most of them have a lot of – well, some of them I could do. Like Sandman looks pretty easy. But, yeah. Yeah, lots of dialogue. That's the only problem. This is also a story that I did not have in my collection. I mentioned it before, especially if you've heard me on my on my earlier Spider-Man show. Um, I grew up with the three paperbacks that were published in the late 70s that collected Amazing Spider-Man 1 through 20. And mm. both of the first two annuals, Strange Tales Annual 2 and Amazing Spider-Man Annual 1, get referenced in those books. And I didn't have either one of them. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man Annual one was even more confusing because it has um, images from the fights. And I'm like, of course, I'm young. I don't really know what an annual is and just trying to figure out what's going on. And I, it was very confusing why the fights that were being referenced were not the same fights that I had in my stories. Like the last time, you know, in issue 17 or 18, we're going to see Peter Parker remember his fight with Octo Octopus and it involves water and, you know, the, the web going everywhere. And I'm like, that's not what happens in any of the other issues. So <laughs> I eventually came to the really, you know, bright conclusion that I was missing a story. But well, speaking of references, I thought it was kind of interesting that when he does uh, reminisce about his origin, they say, see Marvel annual number one. Yes. Not amazing fantasy. 15. Right. Because that's not on the rack right now, but Marvel Annual number one is. And you probably couldn't even get Amazing Fantasy 15. I mean, there were no back issue bins. It was you buy no. it on the newsstand when it's new or you don't get yeah. it. Yeah. No comic shops, no direct market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so was I right or is this like the first time like Uncle Ben? I mean, I think they've mentioned him before, but we're like seeing, I guess we see a picture of him. And then this flashback of all the, the murder stuff. They haven't done that since the Amazing Fantasy, have they? Well, okay, so interesting is Amazing Spider-Man 1 gave a quick recap of events. Oh, but did it, it completely okay. removed Spider-Man's or Peter Parker's culpability. Oh, that's right. It completely removed the heart of the Amazing Fantasy 15 story. The great power must come great responsibility concept was was taken out of that recap. And I mean, for the events of Spider-Man's origin, it may be kind of optional, but for the heart of Spider-Man's character, you really kind of need it. So that's kind of a homecoming um, or MCU Spider-Man uh, 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 complaint that I've read that I never thought of myself. Or actually maybe Don, one of our guest stars on our, our specials said or something. But I've since seen it multiple mm -hmm. times where people where people don't, like that Tom Holland has never really addressed that at all. That Right. And then I was thinking, yeah, I guess that's true. I never realized that because you're just so used to Spider-Man and who he is. But we've also read 16 Spider-Mans, and he hasn't really been Mentioned. miserable about it every issue. No, you're or right. ever, right? So other than the origin, and, and now really, this. really, I mean, you're, you're supposed to, I mean, healthily speaking, you cope and move on with your life. Right. And stuff happens that occasionally reminds you of what's going on, but you don't spend your life thinking about your dead loved ones. Well, theoretically, right? Theoretically, it's yeah. better to move on to another place. If he had, um, a, if he had a mansion in a mantle, he could put a big picture of Uncle Ben on the. But yeah, we, the best we've gotten is like one or two obscure references, mm -hmm. but nothing ever actually directly mentioning Uncle Ben. 
So this made him so – I don't know if I said it in the summary, but he diagnoses himself. This made him so miserable that he psychosomatically loses his powers. That's why they disappeared. Yeah. According to him. Which I think is kind of bonkers and I thought that with Amazing Spider-Man 2 also. That's the one thing I don't like about that movie uh, is like he can just not have powers because he's depressed or something. Or and I feel I like know. it's a Spider-Man thing. Like it's – I don't know if it has or hasn't, but I feel like it's happened to him maybe two or three times over the years. But I don't know of anyone else who has ever lost their powers psychosomatically. Just yeah, like, maybe the Hulk, but that's just kind of his bag. And I don't even know yeah, if that's true. Like, yeah, you're right. Going back and forth with the Hulk and Banner, that can be tied to tied up with the psychology. Um, but that's right, kind of part of who he is. Yeah. But yeah, just like psych yourself out of your powers. You're walking along and suddenly you don't have your superpowers anymore because you're upset. That's pretty scary. I think I'd go see that therapist after all that he never really saw. And in this particular issue, this particular reading of it, I was kind of wrapped up in the emotion of that. Like the, the idea that, wow, I've been, I've been, I've been doing this Spider-Man thing for months now and, and I can't anymore. Like it's just gone for no reason. And that yeah. just kind of went, hit home with me this time. Well, it didn't really go anywhere because immediately he gets it back when he has to actually fight. But I will say I do like that it sets it up to where he's even more heroic than he would be because he thinks he's just going to die and he has no powers. But he goes to confront these six guys anyway because they have his aunt and his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty powerful. That was cool. Um, but then, of course, it worked out. This, uh, this annual does kind of treat it like your first Spider-Man issue. There's a lot of just little scenes that feel like they're basically there to hit a note, hit a note uh -huh. of the series. Jonah Jameson yeah. being grumpy, uh, Liz Allen flirting with Peter, Flash Thompson picking on him, uh, the early stuff with Aunt May. Of course, she then gets more involved in the story, becomes more of a story piece, and so does Jonah. But in the first half of the story, there are several little vignettes that are just like, by the way, this is what part of Spider-Man is. I like that I mean, we kind of talked about how J. Jonah Jameson quickly becomes a caricature. But in here, yeah, there's funny bits. And in the end, he doesn't get his way and all oh, the worst. But I do like that he spends the most of the issue freaking out that Betty got kidnapped. And he's trying to, like, help her somehow. Yeah, his humor in this is not self-parody. His humor in this is, you know, humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does say take care of her because good secretaries are hard to find. But, you know, Thing says stuff like that, too. And I never really believe him. Well, also, Jonah has recently tried to get other secretaries. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. It, it hasn't gone well for him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he knows what he's talking so, about with that. <laughs> it could be a selfish comment, yeah. Um, but the uh, uh, the scene with him talking to the spiders was fantastic. He says, well, if Ant-Man can talk to ants, maybe Spider-Man can talk to spiders. Give me the message, spider. What are you doing just sitting there? Yeah, that was really funny, actually. And then they're all like, he's talking to spiders. Yeah. He's talking to pillows, kids. I don't think I ever knew in some of my early readings of this issue that Ant-Man actually talked to ants. I don't think I ever actually had read a story where that happened. Um, I it's, don't know. It's interesting that he knows. Yeah. Maybe that's but, just one of the... I mean, Ant-Man's kind of a public hero. Maybe it's just one of those things that people know about him. Maybe they assume it when they're when he's riding an ant that he can somehow control them. Oh, yeah, because he does. Like, while he's talking to the cops, whatever, ride off on an ant. See you later. Yeah. Or he has ants, like, turning and, into arrows um, to point back things. Back when he was cool in Ant-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once again, we have the Avengers not being the Avengers. Um, so 
we're just assuming now. I, I I had just assumed that Captain America lives at the mansion, and when he says the team isn't here at the moment, that's because they're all doing their own things with their own life, and he has yeah. nothing else to do. We don't officially get him being resident at the mansion until his suspense series starts. Um, yeah. well, that's but that's pretty soon. And that is pretty soon. But yeah, it was just it's logical to conclude that he's at the mansion all the time. And the Avengers in this issue are off all doing individual things. Captain America is just holding down the fort. Yeah, I don't I can't remember Ant-Man and Wasp are stopping crime and Iron Man shows up because his factory is being attacked again. Mhm. Well, it's um, not it's not their regular meeting. So they're not, you know, right. together. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how that works. Like, I guess they just Cuz that's like the JLA cartoon always had like the one person on monitor duty. Mhm. And I assume at that after which you just press a button and you can call people to come and do something if there's an emergency. I can just imagine Captain America like has the monitor on. He's like, you know, working out, you know, eating some Wheaties, reading a comic book, just kind of like walking around talking to Jarvis every now and then, who also doesn't exist yet, while the monitor's on. Bologna sandwiches on white bread, just right. the way he likes it. Um, <laughs> it's it's too bad that J. Jonah Jameson, who did manage to contact the FF, which I thought was kind of cool, because he is probably somewhat powerful, but uh, he doesn't actually say there's trouble. He just says, I'm looking for Spider-Man. And they're all kind of like, well, we don't know where he is. Yeah. Which is not the same as saying two people have been kidnapped and they're ransoming them for an appearance for Spider-Man. Like that, I feel like, would make the FF or Cap or something do more. Yeah, they would sort of take notice. Yeah. Instead, they're just like, I'm sorry, he's not here. Can I take a message? I can't give yeah. it to him because he's not here. <laughs> I like Cap. It's like, I've never even met Spider-Man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know who the hell you're talking about. I've, I, we actually, I mean... We're not super far off from their first meeting. Spider-Man's in an issue of the Avengers that's coming up soon. Mm. Um, and then there's a pretty recent story from a recent annual that continuity-wise gets slotted a few days after that annual where Spider-Man and Captain America have more of a first meeting. But um, but yeah, they have not met yet. Um, can we talk about Dr. Octopus for a minute? Oh, yeah. Two things. One, his arms have been taken off for the first time. Yes, that's... That's a big deal. That is a big deal because they couldn't remove them and he can control them remotely with his mind, which is going to be like part of the big deal of imprisoning him going forward is if you put him in prison, we're good with his arms. Yeah. Too bad you can't pop the hood and like unwire it or something. Right. But I don't know how it works. Like turn like this through a power switch or something and like disable the transceiver. Yeah. Sticking it in an EMP room or I don't know. It also reminded me of the scene in Spider-Man, one of the movies where it's like, my robot arms gave me abs because like <laughs> Otto's looking pretty good there. No scarring at all for having these arms fused to himself. So if I remember Spider-Man 2, which is not necessarily anything to do with this, but he had like, remember he had that neural inhibitor. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a throwaway uh, line to, to make it so you could later explain how the arms are taking over his mind. Right. Because the inhibitor got broken. So, uh, is there ever any point in Dr. Octopus's comic history where you're not sure who's in control? Is it the arms or is it him or is it always him? And they're just a mechanism. Um, at least as far as the early nineties where I've read, you know, 1993 maximum carnage, it's always been him. Um, he can control his arms. I don't feel, I feel like the whole AI in the arms thing where they're sort of like, you know, separate. Mm -hmm. I think that was just for Spider-Man too. But it was a cool, cool idea. It made him more like a Batman villain, like, oh, he's just a wrong place, wrong time kind of guy. Mm-hmm. 
and he's being controlled by these things. And then in the end, he manages to push past it and like take over. That was neat. But yeah, I never thought that Dr. Octopus in the comic book existed, really. And the other thing about Octopus is his so-called foolproof plan. (laughs) Okay, so I saw your Twitter on that. And I also agree and laughed because like one panel says random and then the very next panel says perfectly planned out. Right. Or something like that. So just, just, to, I, just, go just, ahead. just to clarify for the kids at home real quick, the details of the plan. All right. He's got a bowl of cards. All of the villains are going to draw out a card. And then the card has a number on it. So their, their order is randomly selected because they've drawn out a card. Mm-hmm. On the back of that card is written a location that has been perfectly suited to each villain's <laughs> power set. So they've randomly selected a card that on one side is random, but on the other side is specifically assigned to them. So it's like, okay, now wait a second. Yes, <laughs> and, yeah. like, and I've left nothing to chance except for the fact that you randomly drew these cards out. So if they had just stuck with the cards being the order, like he doesn't care who fights him first, mm-hmm. that would have been okay. As, but then, yeah, you're right. He throws the locations that are specifically uh, you know, chosen for them on these same cards that they're randomly drawing. So, the best yeah, no work. prize is that um, that I saw that someone said was they drew the cards out and then he wrote on the back of them where they would go. Okay, see so that makes sense. But I feel like this is because ultimately it doesn't matter the order. I mean, I guess if he was a real strategist, maybe he would come up with the order even. But if he was a real strategist, he'd listen to the vulture and they'd all attack at once. Well, that's another idea too. <laughs> Vulture's like, I say we attack all at once. His power's not great enough to defeat all six of us, and and no one listens to him. So, what do you think of um, these guys as a team in terms of um, what we know about them up to this point? Would they even be team players? Like, for instance, Craven really sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Like, he likes hunting. He likes the hunt. He wants to chase. You know. Spider-Man from one end of the earth to the other, and he'd be happy camper. So the idea that he wants to fight Spider-Man head to head, like third in line with all these other guys, that doesn't really ring true to me. Yeah. For um, what he would want, you know? Villain teams are always kind of weird because you always kind of wonder why these people are getting together. Because really when it comes down to it, comic book villains are created for some sort of, you know, creative gimmick idea. And that's what the villain Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. So to like take all these random gimmick ideas and put them together because villains are always less characters than heroes are. Right. Um, But they're just here. I can see Vulture and Sandman. I can see Electra because they're just crooks. Although Vulture does love himself a lot. Vulture is very proud of himself in this. Uh, no, in, in general, remember he was the guy who could. He, I'll ro- I'll tell you where I'm going to rob, and I'll still rob you. you right, know, that guy. But yeah, you're right. I think especially Sandman and Electro, they are just like you know guys who run sweatshops and stuff, and or you know steal cars, and they just want Spider Man gone. Also, all of these guys, like we only saw Doctor Octopus, you know, get out of prison or break out of prison, but all of these guys theoretically were in prison except for Craven, who got deported. Wow. Yeah, Electro literally was just put in prison by Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yep. Slapped oh, wow. back in. Uh, Mysterio was issue 13 not that long ago. He got put in jail. Uh, Vulture is the... F- uh, I was going to say Vulture is the farthest back, but that's not true. Sandman goes all the way back to issue four. Have we seen Sandman since issue four? Is that the one where... Uh, no, we've seen him with Human Torch, right? Oh, Strange Tales. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But still, he gets taken off to jail again at that, so... Yeah. 
Well, they're getting to where like only Doctor Doom is explained when it comes to comebacks. Yeah. Which is kind of sad because I sort of enjoy their explanations, but I guess at some point you just have to say, screw it, and he's here again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Although they did show how Dr. Octopus got out, so I guess that was okay. Maybe he – no, I was going to say maybe he sprung the rest of them, but he didn't because they all met. There was like a big to-do about the meeting. I don't know. Maybe we just assume they escaped somehow because they have powers. They do. They do have powers. Um. So Aunt May worries a lot. She does. She That's might, kind of her uh, whole character for, what, 20, 30 years? Yeah, and I think this might be the biggest example of it so far. Like, she's really, like, pestering Peter, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And both here at the beginning and then later at the end, it's like she has he has to put on a happy dance for her to, like, convince her that everything's okay. And it's just a little bit disturbing. I don't think it's – I think her always worried and him always – withholding is not is a kind of a bad combination Mm. like not that he could tell her i'm partly responsible but he could at least say i miss uncle ben or i feel bad that uncle ben's dead i saw you looking depressed and they could have a conversation you know now she's instead making up things like i'm worried it's probably because of betty you know um we could do a bit more like emotional connection between the two of them yeah i think we're gonna get it like this for a while I remember Ultimate Spider-Man kind of dealt with that at one point. Um, Peter comes Doesn't home and Aunt May's just sitting there at home and he's been out like, you know, doing Spider-Man stuff and getting home late. And she's like, Peter, I mean, do you even like me? Yeah, I remember that too. And then doesn't he later even tell her that he's responsible or something? Yeah, yeah. Peter yeah. and May in the Ultimate World get a lot of closure and a lot of, you know, connection so- of the whole Uncle Ben thing. So speaking of homecoming, that'll be interesting because theoretically Aunt May now knows he's Spider-Man. So does he confess? Oh, uh, yeah. We didn't we'll get to out. see like the whole ramifications of that because like mm-hmm. she walks in on him at the end of homecoming and then they ho- go to the whole Infinity War and Endgame thing. And Far From Home is going to be like the first thing we see dealing with it. And it's been, what, a year in their life since then? I don't know. Yeah, but spoiler, she's in the trailer promoting him as Spider-Man. So she does end up knowing i get i assume unless that's yeah a trick. yeah we'll see how they how their uh, dynamic is now we're just not going to see the whole like reaction and everything right else. yeah yeah we don't know maybe they could do flashbacks <laughs> or something they could. Um, um, um um i don't know what the... well may wonders if peter is missing school because of something to do with betty brandt and oh that's right he missed school i forgot about that he does yeah. miss school and you know and i know that if a high school boy and a high school girl skip school together, there's mm. like one likely reason why they're and dating. Yeah, they're, they're they're or they're getting married. They're ki- Oh, they're getting married. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. What, I forgot what the code was. Right. Kissing, getting married, one of those things. So um, she's like something to do with Betty Brant, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, something to do with Betty Brant. But then you know, Betty's at work. Like Aunt May goes all the way into the city to go see Betty at work to see if Peter was hanging out with her. So I'm not an Aunt May hater. Um, and actually lately, like the last, I don't know what, five, 10 years, she's usually a pretty interesting character, Mm -hmm. but I could see why if you were growing up with Spider-Man, like this kind of stuff might get old, Mm -hmm. her worrying about him, telling him to always put on a coat because he's so sensitive. And now she gets captured by Doc Ock and she doesn't seem to understand the gravity of the situation. (laughs) Which was played for comic effect. Like she just thinks he's polite and she enjoys the tea and she had a good time. 
Now, now, dear, it mustn't be prejudiced against the poor man just because he seems to have some trouble with his arms. And he kidnapped us. Right. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, when they first get kidnapped and they walk in and Dr. Octopus is talking to them, um, oh, Miss Brent, come in. I've been expecting you. And who is that charming lady with you? Mm-hmm. So, there's this Monty Python sketch on marriage counseling. Um, you, I, I don't know the different Python boys' names, but um, the one of them who's a bit bookish is wearing glasses. He comes in, and uh, the woman who is in all the Flying Circus episodes, a blonde who's kind of buxom, she's wearing this, you know, sort of suggestive dress. And they walk in, sit down, and the marriage counselor looks up and says hello to the guy, looks at the wife, and like is immediately taken with her. And the marriage counselor's like, and who is your ravishing, ravishing <laughs> wife? And um, so the husband like starts talking about the marital problems they've been having and how he suspects that she's cheating on him. And the entire time he's talking, the counselor and the wife are making googly eyes at each other. And like she points behind the curtain to see if they should go back there. And and he like loosens his tie. And while the husband is still talking, they like go off together behind the curtain. And uh-huh. um, so it's just like the whole like he sees the wife and he's just, like totally taken with her in the middle of a sentence reminded me of this because octopus Otto octavius has met may parker and is going to marry her someday yep and it's just like right here right now it's a li- he's a little bit too taken with her compared to what i was expecting yeah i didn't know it happened that fast either and i also feel like the way ditko draws both of them that she is at least 20 years older than he is. At the least. <laughs> I don't know if that's later changed to where they're kind of the same age, but uh, yeah, right now she's like 99 or something. Um, yeah, I I feel like she always looks older than she is, and mm-hmm. he could be young for his age. He could be a young-looking 50s, and she could be an old-looking 60s. Yeah, that's true. We always, we always wonder how, like, Peter's uh, aunt would be this old, you know? Right. Um... I mean, he's he's 18 years old. It's been 20 years since he was born. And, you know, if she's the spouse of the older sibling, and the older mm-hmm. sibling is a big age gap between, you know, Ben yeah, and Richard. Yeah. yeah, there 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 could be a significant amount of age gap there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it just feels bigger because she's now 17, 18 years older than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and Otto, his... Age is never really that clearly established, but he could easily, easily be in his 50s or early 60s. He could be, because he's kind of drawn. Uh, it's a kind of ambiguous, I mm-hmm. guess. He could also be 30, for all I know. <laughs> this um, is Jonah's first time to see May. So there, here's the thing. Like At first, I was like, well, why are they kidnapping Betty? Why would they do that? And it, it's way later in the story that someone finally says, I think Otto says, we noticed that Spider-Man has defended her two times already or something like that. Right. And that's why, they, that's why they picked her. So now it's like, well, Peter, you might as well tell Betty who you are because your secret identity is useless at this point. Well, see, here's the thing about that. The whole, like, I can't tell who I am because they might attack my loved ones. Your loved ones are the ones they're attacking anyway. Right. Lois Lane is getting captured and attacked and imprisoned all the time because uh-huh. she's Superman's girlfriend and because she's Lois Lane doing her job. And because Clark Kent tells everybody that he knows Superman. There's that too. 
And Spider-Man does the same thing eventually, or maybe even already. I can't remember where he says like I can get it, I can get in contact with Spider-Man and get some pictures because mm-hmm. I'm his personal photographer. It's like well, you basically just rendered your secret entity useless, right? Yeah. Um, but this is the first time that Jonah has seen May. He sees Betty from the window, and he he says that that's aunt, uh, Peter Parker's aunt. So I guess. He's seen her with Peter from a distance. She's come into the city before. They're actually going to meet for the first time down the road a little ways. So I guess he hasn't actually met her yet. He just knows who she is. Okay. Well, it's the first time Betty and Aunt May have met, too. Um, right? They're always think... talk. He's always saying that he's dating somebody else, but he I don't think he's ever said, like, when I'm she's in the hospital, I think. When, oh. When May was sick, Betty came mm. and sat with her. That's right. I remember that. Like in issue nine or 10? Issue nine. Um, Steve Ditko draws the Fantastic Four again and once again stretches Reed's neck. That's it. Little trivia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They look a little better than they did that last time, but it still looks kind of funny. Yeah. But you're not the only one who's talked about uh, Reed Richards' neck not being stretched. I think um, Michael David Sims on his chronological FF Twitter has talked about the same thing. Okay. Yeah. That is some detailed work for people not following along with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like the FF and you want some like in-depth analysis of the early stuff, go find, I think it's at Chronological FF. Yeah, I'm not, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. So, um, Or at Earth 2 for the guy who's doing it. I'm sure he links to it. Uh, yeah. We get the X-Men for one panel, but that's okay because they come back later. That actually, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I thought it was the FF legit until I turned the page. Oh, the X-Men? Um, yeah, when they come back. Because mm-hmm. they they do set it up. Like, Human Torch is going around um, writing Spider-Man, show yourself, come see the F- FF and, like, fire in the sky. And, they have, and the X-Men are like, ah, we don't care. We're busy training. But then they do show up later, and I thought it was legitimately going to be them. And then it wasn't. It was They not. tricked me. They tricked me. And the studio got me. The British version of this, they didn't have rights to the X-Men, so the X-Men are all redrawn as Avengers. No kidding? Yeah. Oh, see, now if you're a completist, you have to buy that issue. Because <laughs> it's different. And uh, the scene with the X-Men, the actual legit X-Men, that panel might be completely removed. They might have you know re- replaced everything on the pages. The way that British reprints handle their properties is occasionally like really interesting. Some of the choices they make. Um, and when it comes to transformers, I'll be talking about that on a transformers podcast at some point in the future, but I, but, but don't tell anybody yet. Yeah. You're really good at keeping that a secret. Yeah. Definitely wouldn't <laughs> want to accidentally say it on the internet. No. Good thing. We're not recording this. Right. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the first big splash page with electro is my favorite because of the lighting and the colors and everything. I think it's really great. It's cool. And this is straight out of, uh, well, it's not straight out of because this is first, but you know, what is that Amazing Spider-Man movie? The part two, is that all it's called? Amazing yeah, Spider-Man the Amazing 2? Spider-Man 2. Yeah, they fight in a uh, in an electric something factory or something mm-hmm. with Electro. So that really reminded me of that too. Kind of cool. I don't know if they were inspired by this issue to do that, but it's kind of a no-brainer, I guess, put Electro in a place full of electricity. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. works. And yeah. Iron Man's like, why are y'all fighting in my factory? In fact, I think this is the best of the locations in terms of Doc Ock's strategy. Right. You know, because he goes to make this big deal about how everybody has a specific location to fight into 
accentuate their strengths. And this one works because it's Electro at a power factory. So, yeah, that's going to make him pretty awesome. You were right that he doesn't beat Craven. He just yoinks the card and flies away. Yeah. So Craven's in like Central Park and he's got a couple leopards. And that just seemed to me like, well, that's not going to work. In fact, Craven did much better in his first appearance with the whole magnet cuffs and all that stuff. This time he's just trying to punch him. No poison, no nothing. Yeah, none of none of the stuff that made Craven different. Just yeah. leopards. Like leopards aren't going to stop Spider Man, and he should probably know that, right? Because he's fought Spider Man. Um, really? But I did like I, I did like that he didn't defeat him though. He just took it and kept going. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Really brief little torch fight. So that's you know yeah. reminiscent of the last annual. I kind of wish that torch did help him, but I understand that this is Amazing Spider Man Annual Number One, so they probably don't want him to like have help. I guess that would have been cool though. Well, they did have like an actual human moment between the two of them at the end of that scene for maybe the first time ever. Yeah. He actually apologized. Spider-Man, Spider-Man thinks that like, I can't remember what he thinks that he's just going to bother him for no reason. So they start fighting. Mm -hmm. But then he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I blew up at you. Thanks for offering to help. But no. And then he leaves. Right. I don't really get the whole, this is my fight. I need to go handle this alone. Yeah. Really? Are you a loner, Dottie? Yeah, I think if my uh, my friend or my girlfriend and my aunt were kidnapped and I was really worried and the FF asked to help, I'd be like, heck yes. And there were six bad guys and you are one Spider-Man? <laughs> right. Bring the Avengers, please. Um, we get to the X-Men robots. And I think, I think this is the only Ditko X-Men ever. Wow, really? He doesn't do a bad job with them. No, I, I, I like their X. I like it. I do too. Looks pretty cool. Doesn't get to do a whole lot with it, but I think it works. I like Cyclops. Like um, the visor looks like it's coming out of both sides of his head to do the whole like super fast turn. Uh huh. Of his head. Oh yeah, yeah. And that one panel where he's making him jump around. Mm-hmm. Awesome splash page on this one too. Very much so. Yeah. Um, it's a great shot of Mysterio. And even though it's a rerun, I do like how Ditko does the whole Mysterio smoke fight stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks cool. I thought it looked cool the first time he did it. I think it looks cool this time too. And um, now we got to talk, though. Now we got to talk because <laughs> I call suspect on this. So the Mysterio drops the card on a part of the floor that was ignited by the Cyclops's robot power beam or something like that. Right. Um, and so it burns up. My only one chance is I'll let my liquid webbing cover it, putting out the flames. And when I peel away the paper, the imprint of the writing may somehow have been transferred onto my webbing. And I've got to concentrate harder than ever before. It's up to my spider sense to detect the message that was written here before every last trace of it fades away. So two things are bonkers with that. One, that you could tear the paper off his web fluid because usually it's pretty sticky. Oh, yeah. That Uh, even like separates from the glue. Yeah. And then yeah. too, because it doesn't separate from walls and stuff. So the paper would just rip, I would think. Um, and then too, yeah, what's with this Spider-Man, Spider-Sense detect the message business? What is that? He's psychic now? But yeah, he's also looking at it. So he's not really psychic. And like I Facebooked and tweeted about this and someone said just, you know, Lee's destroying Ditko's plots again. I'm kind of like, okay, okay. The art. But the art looks is, like that. Yeah. The art is not really that clear what he's doing. Beyond what it says in the dialogue. Right. You know what this reminded me of? Remember when 
I can't remember. They were searching for somebody or something, and Mister Fantastic created like this DNA tracer thing. Mm-hmm. And then the Human Torch is, I'm going to go up in the sky and use my flames to trace for the DNA. Yeah, I think and, that and was we, that Doctor Doom issue. And we were all like, "Sure, Johnny, that's what you're doing. You're just jealous because Reed Richards <laughs> created a thing, and you're just saying stuff out loud that you're not actually doing." I kind of feel like that's what Spider Man's doing here. I'll use I, my spider sense to detect the message. I'm going to go make complicated electronics out of fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like no, this is not working. You're just talking out loud, and it right. sounds silly. But it worked because uh, he got it to the next one. Yeah, he, he did get to the next one. I like the Sandman fight. I like that the he uh, Sandman tricks him into landing because he's just Sandy. Um, this is not the last time this is going to happen. Sandman's going to pull this move so many times. Um, and then like him turning himself into mallets and trying to beat up Spider-Man in the box is great. But I call shenanigans on Sandman running out of breath. So that is weird on both counts because I've never really heard of Spider-Man having extra breath either. I guess it kind of makes sense. Maybe it makes sense. Doesn't it make sense? Yeah, we saw that with uh, whenever he kept underwater when they, he was hiding from the Hulk in the Green Goblin okay. issue. So he's got like extra strong lungs mm-hmm. or or his muscles require less oxygen to power, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I don't know how it works. But yeah, why would the Sandman even have lungs? I don't think the Sandman has anything except what he shapes his sand into. Right. So he's why is he, a, he doesn't need to breathe? He's a homogeneous blob that looks like a man. So when he's like spread out of sand and Spider-Man lands on him, is he breathing there? No. No. Yeah. And so like, that, that's weird. Way down the road when Sandman like falls in the ocean and merges with Hydra-Man and becomes like the big old blob thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not breathing. Is Hydra-Man breathing? He's made of water. Is Sandman breathing? He's made of sand. He doesn't have lungs. Sandman, I always feel like, is a really powerful villain and probably hard to beat, even though so far he's been beaten by a vacuum and Human Torch being just Johnny Storm and punching him mm-hmm. and and now this oxygen thing. But it's like, if you think about it, this guy should be really, really hard to beat most of the time. He should be like an Earth Elemental. Yeah. So only having a couple pages to do it, I guess this is what they came up with. But eh. Also... Who made the box? Because if it's Dr. Octopus's awesome plan and everybody gets a location that amplifies their powers or whatever, oh, sorry, I made a box that has no oxygen and you need oxygen, so you died and lost. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe Dr. Octopus figured that he was made out of sand and didn't have to breathe. (laughs) He's like, I ran out of oxygen. Are you serious? That's a thing? I I, I would not have seen that coming. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Doc Ock's like, why are you forming lungs with your sand power? And this is where Sandman learns not to do that. Yes, exactly. Stop making lungs. You don't need yeah. them. Um, okay, uh, so Vulture like makes a big deal. You're going to fight me without your spider web shooter things. Yeah. But here's a rope. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just <sighs> like you, you took away the spider webs and then you gave him a rope, which basically is like his spider webs. Still don't like the vulture. This took too long. The vulture fight? Yes. And is he uh, hunchback in the um, splash page? Oh, yes. Actually, Weirdly. vulture's anatomy in that splash page is all kinds of jacked. I'm looking at it, and it gets worse the longer you look. It's like he's got breasts on his back, and his mm-hmm. his right leg is broken. His right leg is broken. His foot's going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, some yeah. people just can't draw feet. Not the best pinup. 
No. Wow, can he not draw feet? I've never really noticed that, but no one can draw feet. Ditko J can't draw feet. Kirby can't draw feet. No one can draw draw feet. My son can draw feet. Well, Sandman has no feet. You know, some artists get a big old, you know, smackdown because they can't draw feet, and it's pretty common. It is. Was that one guy, uh, the guy who drew Tarzan all the time, always made a point to have him standing in grass or something so he didn't have to draw the feet? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is kind of jacked up. Now, the, the layout is pretty great, but yeah. the anatomy is, is the problem. Yeah, the vulture is just like the angel. Anybody who has the power of flight thinks that they're the greatest for some reason. It comes with an ego, I guess. Mm-hmm. You'll never beat a man with wings. I will flap my wings so hard you fall off the building. <laughs> And there's nothing you can do because you're Spider-Man. Oh, wait. No, you do that all the time. Never mind. So I'm wondering if this castle has a sign on it that says this castle was brought over from Eastern Europe stone by stone and rebuilt here. (laughs) And so like every time we have one of those castles that's gotten brought over and built stone by stone, it's actually just the same castle. They keep using the same site and they rent it out. Thank you to the Von Doom family for your... Donation. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 Victor Von Doom's castle. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I was wondering about that too, but oh well, it's Marvel. What are you gonna do? Right. I did like that he like saw Otto as like following him and doesn't even like twig to the fact that wait a second, where's this guy's arms? Oh crap, they're coming up behind me. Yeah, what's he say? If I pass Aunt May or Betty, my spider sense will warn me, but I haven't passed them yet. Yeah, so I guess the arms are just really fast. I always picture them really fast. So even though his spider sense probably ring they still got him. Yeah. Um, that's a cool way to fight. I don't know, but I, him in his scuba gear, that kind of made me like laugh, groan, roll my eyes a bit. Yeah. But the fight was cool. The fight leading up to the the, the water was pretty cool. And they, they did some neat stuff with the webs. It was a kind of a neat huh. idea. Yeah, I was um, going to say, even the fight in the water is cool. It's just it's kind of ridiculous that he puts on a snorkel first. A little but. bit. And like Spider-Man is just like in the water while he changes clothes. <laughs> So like, yeah. how long did it take him to change your clothes? Did he have all that like ready yeah. to go? And he's got the flippers on and everything. It's just oh, like, ah, oh, come on. It's the same outfit, though. He just rips off the sleeves to show his really jacked guns. Oh, but he puts on like a uh, Thunderball mask and a big oxygen tank and flippers. He is pretty muscular. Wow. You wouldn't have known that. Yeah, I, I would not have. He kind of has a reputation for being flabby. Yeah. Well, he was just in prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I did not. You mentioned this in your recap. I did not even think about it until just this read through that water is an octopus's natural habitat. And so fighting an octopus in water should totally be a thing. Um, well, I didn't. St- I didn't come up with that. He says it. He oh, says, does he? He says, I shall join you in that giant fishbowl and attack you just as a real octopus would. Yeah, and maybe I just read that and like registered those words for the first time because yeah. I never thought about that before. I, I, By the way, I love octopuses. I think they're one of the most fascinating, amazing creatures out there. Yeah, but they don't fight you like this. No, they don't. They're more of a stick and move kind of thing. I also kind of wonder if he's practicing for the Master Planner arc in this. I don't know if you get that reference, but, um, but people who know... Spider-Man might. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was cool, other than the scuba gear. Even yeah. the, even like the way, because uh, I think it was a kind of a one another way that could have been a convoluted fight, but it was described and drawn well to where I understood what was going on. And he gets just like so entangled that basically he gets beaten the same way Sandman got beaten. He can't uh-huh. breathe. Yeah, and then so they just pull him out and throw him on the ground, and he's just 
Unconscious, I guess. Betty is very happy to see Spider-Man. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have expected that because every single thought she's had about Spider-Man has been negative, except for, like, he saved my life that one time, but I still can't stand him. She's been kind of, um, well, first of all, they haven't done it much. I thought they'd do it more, her opinions on Spider-Man. But the few times they've done it, she actually is kind of wishy-washy about it. Like, I can't help not liking him, but I also understand what happened, mm-hmm. kind of. I guess it's once you're kidnapped, it's anybody who rescues you is a good thing. Right. Yeah, I guess you're sitting there. Octopus has been serving you tea menacingly all day. Yeah. He's like, Spider-Man, oh, thank heavens. Now, see, if this was more of a modern comic, I bet you there'd be moments where she's wondering, why'd they kidnap me to lure Spider-Man? Hey, come to think of it, why does Spider-Man always rescue me all the time? But that didn't occur here. No, no, it didn't. You're right. And May is much more bothered by Spider-Man than she is by Dr. Octopus. And this is, they mention it, this is her first time to see Spider-Man close up. She calls him ghastly and villainous. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Dr. Octopus would never have entered that way without knocking. Now, I'm not a female, so I could be wrong, but I really feel like Spider-Man is much more adorable than Dr. Octopus. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If we have any female listeners, maybe you guys can write in and correct me on that one, but... I don't really get just, how Spider-Man is ghastly looking. I don't get the ghastly looking thing either. I get being off-put by somebody walking in in a full-body stocking and mask. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be weird if somebody was at your door and had, you know, a mask and a complete full-body outfit on and you wouldn't really want to open your door to them. Yeah. So, it'd be, But but at the same time, Dr. Octopus... A I known mean, criminal. The metal arms have got to be scary. Yeah, and he's he must be a known criminal because he's been in the paper... And at this point, Spider-Man isn't universally hated. The police still support him most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what Aunt May's impressions of him are. I know historically and in the future, she's always anti-Spider-Man, pro-Peter, because that's just how drama works. But yeah, I don't know. It's just weird that she goes to that level of disgust immediately like that. Right. Um, May also seems to completely forget that her entire reason for being out today was to see Betty to find out where Peter was because he skipped school that day. She does not bring that up again, does she? No. So, awful slang. I was like, where was the slang? See, we're so bad at speaking now that I don't even recognize what she's talking about. (laughs) He's like, you mean you're not all shook up or anything? And she says, don't use that awful slang. So, shook up is slang, I guess? Uh, Yeah, technically it is. It is slang. But, like, to the point where she'd be upset about it? Wow. It just seems like an expression. She never has actually mentioned it before. This is the first time. And then she says it later, too. She says, know something, M.A.? In case I forget to tell you, you're the ever-loving greatest. And she's like, Peter Parker, what am I going to do with you and all that slang? The ever-loving? So, yeah, she just doesn't like expressions, I guess. Yeah, the, the, the those new kids and the way they talk, you know, yeah. that whole lit-tastic thing is just got to go. <laughs> because nobody from her generation had expressions. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Yeah, right. Every generation changes the language. It's one right? of those things. They all have their their things. Um, we get to the last page and oh wait, before the last page, whenever she's like, Oh, I missed the Beverly Hillbillies. I forgot all about them. I've been waiting all week. And uh <laughs> That's right. That seemed a little funny. I've like I, I wouldn't picture her watching that show for some reason. I've been watching a few shows along with my reading because that's kind of one of those things that I do is stuff that I never saw or only saw a little bit of that I want to see more of I'll watch in sync with reading projects mm-hmm. and so I, you know I said before I was watching The Fugitive and I've been watching Doctor Who with my son um, we're getting up you know 
to the summer, t- uh, the, the next fall, there's going to be several shows launching like Munsters and Adam's Family. And but then I get to like, OK, what shows do I actually want to watch versus shows that I just liked as a, as a kid, but don't really need to see more of? Like, and that is the question. Beverly Hillbillies. I really liked Beverly Hillbillies as a kid. Do I need to like systematically watch all of Beverly Hillbillies? I don't know. Same with Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. I liked those shows as a kid. Do I need to watch all of them? I don't know. Yeah, you never know like what's going to hold up. And then I kind of worry like, what if it doesn't hold up? Is that going to ruin it for me? Maybe it's better to just have it as a memory. And what if it doesn't hold up, but I keep watching anyway? <laughs> yeah, because once you start, you feel obligated to keep going, right? Right. right. You kind of have to. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Am it's I just better watching to do- this because I want to have watched it or am I watching it because I actually enjoy it? It's better to do nothing. Yeah. Don't even start. If you Don't can't, even start, kids. Like Homer Simpson said, if you can't do it right, it's not worth doing or something like that. Or if it's too hard, it's not worth doing. Right. Yeah, I already messed it up, but that's because it's too hard to remember. But I shouldn't pick on you, dear. I'm so glad to see you looking cheerful again. The reason I went to see Miss Brandt was to find out why you were so unhappy before. So that's it. Boy, I'd better remember always to look chipper from now on. Just keep dancing that happy dance, Peter. Keep on going. <laughs> because if I don't look chipper from now on... Aunt May will get kidnapped by my six worst villains again. Right. That makes no sense. Also die. Also die, yeah. Wow. So that was one story out of this 400-page book, and we've been talking about it for an hour. But uh, the rest of it, um, um, I don't have a lot to say. I mean, it's a gallery of foes, which is cool. Because Mm -hmm. right now we're only in 1964, so we actually can literally include everything he's ever fought. Right. And I'll quickly say it's the burglar, the chameleon, the vulture, the terrible tinkerer, the Dr. Octopus, Sandman, Dr. Doom, the lizard, the living brain, Electro, the enforcers, including the big man, Mysterio, the green goblin, Craven, the hunter. That's everybody he's fought so far. The uh, Daredevil ringmaster issue got left off. But like we said, um, Daredevil's new. And so that might not have been in. That'll be in the annual number two. Yeah. When they were making this annual, they probably didn't have that one figured out yet. So, but and it's basically just a description of everything, and I don't think it added anything that I can remember that you know stuck out to me. Unless you have something. No, no, it's all you know. It, it's funny that the burglar doesn't have a name. I think yes, he never gets a name. He's just the burglar. So, my summary: I called him Joe Chill as a joke, but if you guys don't get the joke, that's actually Batman's burglar murderer guy Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's amazing to me that this dude has never got a name i can't believe that you told me that and i was just like no that's not true but it is true wow and some special features like secrets of spider-man stuff that we've seen in like you know iron man's book and stuff like that before so this had like this was like where marvel i don't know if dc did this stuff i'm not saying they did it i just don't know but stuff like this like this is the kind of thing i would probably have eaten up this is all pre-handbook even these like you know profiles on the villains is kind of like reminiscent of what will be the handbook someday in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, big pinups and ex- explanations of who they are, and this is like his origin, and then how much he can lift. Like the only people stronger than him, and all that stuff. How his fingers uh, connect to walls, which we actually theorized about before. And now it literally says there's like five thousand suction cups on the tips of his fingers, or something like that. So that just spells that out for you. Yeah, the DC annuals, like especially the Superman ones, because I have more experience with those, they would do stuff like this at a smaller scale. Like at the staple would be a, a, a two-page spread 
of like the Fortress of Solitude's rooms or the Superman family of characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with DC's stories is that if they wanted to go and like list all of Batman's different gadgets, they would make a story that gave him an excuse to use every single one of them. Uh-huh. So you would have that sort of thing built into the stories, and that's kind of less so here because it's more tends to be more character driven. Right. Yeah, so this is about his agility. There's this really cool splash page that tells you where to start and where to end of Oh, I love that. Of Ditko like showing him This is why like, I think maybe the first time they've done that, but this is a thing they do with Spider Man often. Yeah. Ditko having him jump loved, through things. Right. The like the multiple poses as of him going through the air. Ditko loved to do that and I love following it. Like mm-hmm. like seeing it in my mind and following the path with my eyes is yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they've been doing that since I've been reading Spider-Man. So at least, you know, the 80s, were they're still going strong with it, or they were. Um, what else is in there? How his web fluid works, how strong it is, what kind of shapes it can make, which made me groan. Um, how his spider sense works. And then we've talked about this because I made fun of my brother for not understanding how the half-face thing isn't really a half-face thing. But they actually do have a caption because apparently people do write in asking What's with the lines for his spider sense? Or why does Peter Parker sometimes have half a Spider-Man face? Right. And, and they explain it. They're like, look, this is how we see it because we're drawing something to indicate something. But if you were J. Jonah Jameson, this is what you would see, a.k.a. nothing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting that there were enough people that were confused by stuff like that that they want, they felt the need to explain it. And it's just weird because do you really think that Peter's going to walk around half a face as a Spider-Man light bulb? <laughs> Half of his face is a light bulb, really, and it's going to flash spider face. Well, I've I've known somebody. I was I'm blood related to somebody who did think that. Yes. Okay. All right. How I can his see eye- if you're really young. Yeah, he wasn't old. I mean, we were kids, so I don't know who's writing in. Maybe they're eight year olds or something. Um, how his one way mirror works. How his belt works. And then we get to. Uh, Things about his boss and Betty. There's a cool pinup. There's a classmate's pinup. Here's Peter's house. He lives in Forest Hills, which is in Queens. So that's pretty early established. There's a page of the Hulk and Spider-Man and Fantastic Four for some reason. And then there's a story. Go ahead. Just a side note. Aunt May's in the Peter Perkins house thing. She says, Peter's a wonderful boy. I just wish he weren't so frail and delicate. Like, it's not that I wish he wouldn't overstrain himself or I wish he would learn to behave or whatever. It's like, yeah. I kind of get tired of my nephew being so wishy-washy. <laughs> I wish he were more of a man. Right. Why is he so sickly? Right. That's how she really feels. Those Peter's not here. She's telling us, the reader, tired of Peter and his ways. And then lastly, we have, I think it's lastly, lastly, we have another story, which I'm not really going to summarize because it's kind of just a silly story, but it's how Stan Lee and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, but it isn't really. It's more like a joke comic about how Stan Lee's self-centered and always has ideas that he expects everybody else to create and how Steve Ditko is always tired because Stan is always bothering him with ideas. Mm -hmm. That's basically what the story is. It's not really like how they came up with the idea of Spider-Man. Or anything. No, you do get a little bit of a of a, uh, of a process breakdown uh-huh. for this one Spider-Man Statue of Liberty panel, which I think is pretty great for like young right? artists because you see the figure work and. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, because what else did you have back then? Now you can find books all over Amazon on how to make a comic book, but 
Mm-hmm. Back then, this is probably it, man. You're probably eating this up, seeing the breakdown process of how Spider-Man's drawn and inked and all that stuff. It's pretty crazy. Because if you think about it, the lines that we see are like a fraction of the lines that actually get drawn. Because Yeah, usually. All, yeah, you make your figures, you, you do all of your scaffolding work to make your anatomy work right. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of the stuff that's a bit more off anatomically is the stuff that didn't take the time to go through all that. I imagine because there's deadlines and right. getting things done. And so at some point you have to say, I mean, an artist, a real artist, and I'm just going to say that like that as if it's truth, is never satisfied, which is what makes you a good artist is you're constantly striving for something more. Mm-hmm. But at some point when you're a work for hire or you get paid, you got to say, okay, this page is done. Even if I don't love it, it's done. Let's move forward because I could spend the rest of my life making this perfect and it'll never be perfect. It'll never be perfect. Stanley does not have a mustache in this. No. And the picture of Steve Ditko sleeping at his desk is like one of the few pictures of Steve Ditko that exists. And it's not even a photograph. I like that it has a poster of Doctor Strange over his head, zapping him in the head. <laughs> that is great. That's pretty cool. And and, Ant, and spiders drawing Spider-Man. Wow. Very Ant-Man. That. Yeah. Yeah, it was cute, but it's like basically not really telling you how Spider-Man was created. So in that sense, it was kind of disappointing. Yeah. But that's it, guys. That's like the four. How many pages is this? 400, 600 pages? Something like that. It was a 41-page story and then other pages of stuff. Good Lord. That was worth your money. That was um, 25 cents. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as long as the Fantastic Four story. I think the Fantastic Four story was like 43 pages. But Fantastic Four story has a reprint right in the middle. Oh, no, I mean, I mean like last year's. Last year's oh, Fantastic last year's Four last story. Year's. Yeah, this year's Fantastic Four content is not as long as that. It's two separate stories. But also, we can't do Fantastic Four yet. Why not? Oh, you're right. We can't. It's the end of June. Yikes. End of June 1964. We have had 10, count them, 10 superhero comics this month. You want to do the rundown? Sure. Looking at Mike's Amazing World at mikesamazingworld.com brought up his newsstand feature, which we don't really talk about a whole lot, but it is an invaluable resource for people going through comics history, especially if you're doing so for a podcast. Um, mikesamazingworld.com. We have on sale in June 1964, Daredevil 3, Fighting the Owl. Journey into Mystery 107 against the Grey Gargoyle and Balder Must Die. Mm-hmm. Tales to Astonish 59, where Giant Man and the Wasp are up against the Incredible Hulk. Amazing Spider-Man 16, where Spidey battles Daredevil as the Ringmaster looks on. The Avengers number 7, their darkest hour, where they're up against Dr. Zemo, the Enchantress, and the Executioner. That's the one where she tricks Thor into being a bad guy. Fantastic 430 against the mysterious Diablo and his potions of power. Sergeant Fury 9. Hey, let's capture Hitler. Good Strange strategy. Tales. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just go do that. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 124 where the torch and the thing are up against Paste Pot Pete with his new costume. And in the background, Doctor Strange does something strange. Um, the lady from nowhere. Is oh, yeah. Tales of Suspense, 57, the first appearance of Hawkeye and mm-hmm. the return of the Black Widow. And the Watcher has a whole thing about his power at the end. Um, and this annual, 
Amazing Spider-Man Annual number one. You know what I'm just noticing about this month? It hmm. is freaking good. This was a pretty good month, like all yeah. around. Yeah, it's like wow, all this happened the same month, huh? So the worst one is Strange Tales because that's just easy. Okay. And it wasn't that good. It was okay. This is the first team up of of uh, Thing and Human Torch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right. And I don't know. I guess the best one just has to be Amazing Spider-Man Annual because, like, how could it not be? Kinda. How could it not be? Yeah. I I really did like Hawkeye's first appearance though, except for his whole stupid romance brain. But he was fun. And Daredevil was fun in Spider-Man. The Owl was mostly fun until he turned into a Bond villain. Uh, Gargoyle was pretty decent. Yeah, the annual, though. That's just like a big extravaganza. It's hard to not be impressed by it. Yeah, I'm actually torn on my worst between Torch and the Fantastic Four. What was the Fantastic? Oh, yeah, that wasn't great either. I don't like that Diablo story. In reading it to kids, both kids, Lily when she was little and Keenan. Uh, when he was a bit smaller than he is now, that it's just easy to check out of that story. Um, Strange Tales is Paste Pot Pete, and yeah, I don't. And you know, in FF, like the thing just betrays his team, and it's not even a mental uh, possession or anything. Yeah, he becomes a slave driver, like literally. That is weird. You know what? I think I changed my answer. <laughs> I think I voted FF as worse last month, though, so I feel bad. But yeah, you know what? Too bad. Let's do it. FF okay. three. I forgot about that one. That's well, the last one. I'm going to join you on that because you talked me into solidifying it because of just the, the choices that were made in that story. Yeah. I mean, the Strange Tales is just being Strange Tales. It's it's, it's being typical. Fantastic yeah. Four made some weird choices. And at least Pace Pot Pete upgraded his uniform. So Right. That's something. Now he's living inside a, a bag of glue. <laughs> it's like strapped inside his costume. He's trying to be Spider-Man with glue stuff. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Stop saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the best of this month. I mean, beating some pretty solid stories. Yeah. Even Giant Man was pretty decent this time with, right? with the yeah. Hulk. And uh-huh. the Human Top was like manipulating everything from the sides. The, um, Aven- the Avengers fought Thor. That wasn't bad. That was not bad. And Zemo and Executioner and Enchantress started a whole thing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Thor story was pretty decent. And Daredevil, you're, I liked the Owl's first appearance in Daredevil. It's pretty solid stuff. Um, but yeah, Amazing Spider-Man had two chances to shine. And even though his monthly book is kind of a Daredevil issue with yeah. Spider-Man in it more than it's a Spider-Man issue, it's really pretty good Daredevil stuff, too. I was going to say, it's a good Daredevil issue. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get nearly as much into the drama of stuff as his actual book does, but it, it gives you a really good primer on Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose Spider-Man for both the annual and the monthly. That's not wow. hard to do. We haven't agreed on both in a while, I don't think. I don't think so either. Um, okay. Well, that takes us to a new month and a new annual. July 1964 has some pretty amazing stuff in it as I'm looking at the book, uh, the page. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, all right. Dang, this cover is awesome. It is pretty awesome. I like Dr. The, Doom is giant. Fantastic Four logo is all in like Christmas colors for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. They got the red and the green and the blue going on there. That's, that's pretty, very, very retro 60s. Like yeah. you couldn't do that nowadays, but it looks no. really great on this one. Right. 
Um, Dr. Doom is giant and he's holding the Fantastic Four like they're all attacking his arms, like they're all small doll size compared to him. It's just a really great Kirby concept cover. Kind of a riff off FF number one, sort of. I can see how you'd say that. Yeah, that's it's not too uh, far off. Yeah. Yeah. The um the world they usually say the world's greatest comic magazine across the top. This one's the world's greatest annual. Oh wow, it does say that, doesn't it? They even got yep. a ribbon featuring a double length epic, the final victory of Doctor Doom. I don't think that's true. I think it's two separate stories. Are they trying to count them as one story with an interlude or something? I don't know. Or they're trying to trick us into not thinking that middle is a reprint. Right, right. But we do start off with the fantastic origin of Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Earth-shaking script by Stan Lee. Breathtaking illustration by Jack Kirby. Epoch-making delineation by Schick Stone. No-faking lettering by R- uh, S. Rosen. Sam's doing it this time. Mm-hmm. Truly another mighty Marvel masterpiece that we confidently predict you will call one of the greatest, most memorable origin stories of all time. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe. 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 So Doctor Doom's hanging out on his Doom Throne. You can tell it's a Doom Throne. It has like D's on it. It's got double D's. Right. Doctor Doom. Yeah. And um, some old dude walks in and Doom's like, who disturbs my slumber? And it's like, yo, I'm Boris. You know me. It's time. So they walk out to the uh, to the hillside and they go and visit um, a place where something happened years and years ago. And that triggers a flashback. <laughs> and uh, we go to a gypsy tribe had once camped on that very spot. And young Victor, young Victor is part of this camping uh, group. And the dad has been called by the prince or the king or someone to go and heal his wife. So he goes and does his best, but the wife is dying and there's nothing he can do. And the, um, the Baron's like, well, you, you better or else, you know, you'll, you'll be, you'll be sorry. And guys like, I, 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 he's like, fine, get out of here, but I'm holding you accountable. If she dies, it's your fault. And she dies. So it's his fault. So the Baron takes all of his soldiers out and they like destroy the gypsy camp. And the dad rides off to get his son to safety and they go through the weather and they hide and the man dies because of the elements or he gets really, really sick. Um, but they're found by their people, including a younger version of Boris. And Boris takes Victor under his wing when the dad dies. Um, and Victor finds in his dad's collection of stuff, so a chest full of old belongings of his mother's because she was a sorceress, a witch, and he never knew so then he starts like exploring her witchcraft stuff and starts making things that people like and like starts selling like a fiddle that always plays in tune and um, a hair tonic that, you know, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, headache cure, but also like melts your hair away. All this stuff he starts selling to people that ends up being fakes. So the gentry the 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 nobility who've been like taken in by Victor's fake inventions, they arrest him and shoot him with a firing squad, but turns out it's not Victor. It's a robot. Um, anyways, so Victor just keeps on living his life until he gets a visit by a man from state university because it's totally normal for people in universities to travel to Eastern Europe to say, hey, you're pretty cool. Come be a student at our university. Um, Victor's like, sure, I'll go do that. 
So Victor goes to university, runs into a guy named Reed Richards, and Reed's like, hey, you seem pretty cool. Come live with my room. And Victor's like, peasant, don't talk to me. And Reed's like, yo, never mind. You stay over here, dude. I'm going to go find my own room. And he goes and finds a totally chill guy named Ben Grimm who played football and Reed and Ben get to be best friends and Ben never suspects that Reed's going to turn him into an orange monster later in life. Um, Victor is doing some science experiments. He's trying to... I don't think they actually say at this point what he's trying to do. He's just doing a lot of like mixing science concepts with sorceress concepts. He's trying, to, his, he's trying to contact the netherworld. The netherworld, trying to contact the netherworld. We eventually find out that he's trying to get in touch with his mother. Right. Um, yeah, they don't I say that. I think that's said in this issue. Um, but maybe at this early point, it just says he's trying to contact the netherworld. Mm-hmm. Reed stumbles across some of Doom's notes and is like looking at his math and realizes some of his math is off. Tries to tell Victor, but Victor's like, you leave my stuff alone, peasant. I'm going to go do Doom science. And uh, Reed says, if you, if you say it like that, it sounds like it's going to explode on you. <laughs> and sure enough, it explodes on him and damages his face forever. Like, you know, Deadpool's up his face and they never show it because in 60s comics, you can't show stuff like Deadpool's face. Freddy Krueger just doesn't doesn't work in an old kid's comic. Mm-hmm. So um, Victor gets all bandaged up and goes into the snow and hiding. And he runs across these people who like take him in and care for him. And somehow he becomes their ruler and their leader. And he uses, um, he he makes a metal costume for himself because no one can ever see his horrible, horrible face. And he's like, no, no, no. Put the burning face mask right on my skin. No, put it on, put it on. Yeah, yeah, let it burn. Burn into my face. Uh, From this moment on, I shall be known as Dr. Doom. And I've got this cool ring that unlocks my armor that you've never seen the comics before. So guess what? It's invisible. Yeah. Um, anyways, and so yeah, Doctor Doom is taken in by these people, and they eventually found this small nation called mm-hmm. Latveria, and he is the master of Latveria. And he walks through the town. People love him and revere him, but are also a little bit scared of him. And he is the ruler. And that's the end of Doctor Doom's origin. That's the end. So his first origin was like Reed going, I remember some dude named Victor Doom and didn't he blow up or something? That's crazy. Like back in college maybe? Yeah. I think I remember him from college, but he kind of made it sound like he never actually met him or anything. Um, of course in this one he has sort of. Yeah. A little. Um, I think, I think, I don't know. Every time we get a Dr. Doom origin and this is more than we've ever got, I always feel like there's going to be more. In the first origin, you're right. I don't know if we never if we ever saw Reed meet Victor, but no. we did see him um, talking about Victor blowing himself up in the science halls. Like the scene of him sitting in the chair with the bandages around his face. Pretty sure that was in the um, original story. Okay. And this also even, brings. I don't in even the remember stuff. there being a flashback. Yeah, there was a small flashback. And then also the stuff with him and Ben was from that day with the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. story. So it kind of combines the FF5 uh, and the FF11 stuff with new information. Okay. Um, I liked the story. I do feel like, like I said, I feel like every time we read a story about Dr. Doom, I feel like they're going to just retcon more and more and more to explain things. Because there's things in here like, how does he build robots? Why is he into science? I can see the magic part because he found his mom's magic box. 
Mm-hmm. Why does his dad want to? There's like a moment where his dad's on a deathbed. And he's like, "You must protect." Oh, and then he dies, and and Doom's like, "Oh, you you mean you want them to protect me?" And then Boris is thinking to himself, "No, he wants us to protect the world from you." It's like, why does he think that? Why is that his deathbed ending? Yeah, is like is like young Victor this evil force that must be stopped? Yeah, where is that? Is that something that is that like? comes from his mother and the witchcraft thing or something is there some sort of destiny that he has that everybody knows about that they don't talk about so i feel like that's stuff that they're going to expand upon someday uh but i don't know when yeah we don't actually get any hint of victor being a malignant force or malevolent force until after his dad dies and he finds his mother's witchcraft stuff and starts getting revenge and i kind of feel like this is definitely like a um gypsy versus ruling class uh-huh for sure like, yeah like victor's getting revenge on the people that tortured his people yeah um, they, they murdered his selling- mother mm-hmm. and then his father of course died from having to run from this evil baron um so yeah i guess that's why he's angry he's very magneto in that way i guess yeah but before that happens like victor's just a kid yeah his mom was murdered when he was an infant but he knows that she was murdered they must have told him mm-hmm. uh, um Probably we can deduce because she was a witch or something. Uh, right. But yeah, he was on the run with his dad. So he watched his dad sacrifice himself to keep Victor alive from the and elements I, I, and stuff. As I was reading, I felt like, okay, you never knew your mother, but you knew your father and watched him get killed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would give you more emotional attachment to your father. But then he becomes like consumed with the idea of contacting his mother's spirit. And I honestly, I, I don't think they ever actually get that specific with it in this telling. They talk about contacting the netherworld, but I don't know if they ever say contacting his mother. That's a good point, though, because every whenever I think of Doom, I think of Doom and his relationship to his dead mother. Right. And I never think about him, what he thinks of his father. But here's the father that's actually the one raising him and sacrificing himself so that Doom can live. Right, you would think that that would be the greater of the attachments. I I understand wanting to find his mother, wanting to contact her, you know, especially once he finds out that contacting dead spirits is possible. Mm-hmm. But your dad was there for like you know fifteen or however many years of your life. Yeah, and they never mentioned him again. Right. Um, but he's also a power hungry dude, and mom has a suitcase full of power. So that's this is good. true. This is true, and maybe his his pursuit of his mother is less emotion and more just power driven. You're right. Could be. We have seen Dr. Doom's castle before, but this is the first mention of Latveria mm-hmm. and the first we've ever heard of Dr. Doom having a kingdom. So all of that stuff that now seems central and core to Dr. Doom and why is it never in any of the movies is finally brought in here in the second fantastic four annual after two and a half, three years of stories. It's a cool thing to do with a villain. I don't know that it that happens that often where they get like their own place. Right. It's kind of neat. It's an interesting decision. I looked up Latveria and it's like, according to Wikipedia, it's like on the border of Bulgaria and stuff. It's like a little smack in the middle of nowhere. But Yeah, the, um, Eastern Europe has a lot of small countries. And mm-hmm. over the last you know 100 years, those borders have changed a lot. And so it's easy to imagine that there are just a couple in there that we've never heard of. And sure. Latveria is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like <laughs> the humanist in me starts wondering if that's very, very like Western centric of us that we don't care enough about Eastern European countries <laughs> to pay attention to them. And then and we I put all our villains about in that. it. <laughs> and then we give all our villains to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just a bunch of villains over there. 
ruling yeah. ruling lands that we don't ever try and liberate. Doctor Doom, Dracula, yeah. you know. But what's cool also, uh, maybe they don't go into it here, so maybe we can wait for the next story. But maybe they do. I can't remember. Do they talk about how, like, even though he's kind of a strict, uh, full-on monarchy ruler, like, that his place prospers? Or was that the next story? I don't remember. Um, oh, it's this one. Ours has been a prosperous land since he has ruled us. I've always right. liked that dichotomy. Like, he's a jerkhead, and he'll kill his prime minister because he looks funny at him. But people are fed and safe. And, yeah, they have to bow to him and call him Master or Dr. Doom or whatever. But, like, his he actually cares about his country's economics and, you know, safety when it comes to war and things like that. Yeah, so that's like good for his people. Even though he's kind of a terrible person, mm-hmm. he's a good ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes you wonder. Well, maybe he should just. Maybe we should just lose once in a while, and then he can fix all our problems on in America too. Or right. <laughs> but no, 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 let's not do that. I did. Um, I did look up the gypsy people uh-huh. um, because I was just curious. You know, you hear this term, you know, tossed around ever. You know, ever since I was a kid, the the gypsies. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So these are the people who are officially known as the Romani. Uh, And I've heard the word Romani before, and I did some looking. They're Indo-Aryan in ethnicity. So similar to Kashmiri, Punjabi peoples. So like Northern and Northwestern Indian continent, subcontinent. Um, That's where the Romani are from. The major Indo-Aryan languages are all from that Northern Indian area. Um, The... It's believed that the Romani people probably branched off from that area like about 1,500 years ago and moved up into the Middle East and Eastern Europe. They are an itinerant people, so they don't have like a land of their own. They're, they travel, and so they're very, very dispersed. Um, but their largest concentrations are in Southern, Eastern, and Central Europe. Um, the term gypsy is not as preferred nowadays sure. because of all the connotations of dishonesty or illegality. Uh, Romani is, is uh, I think, a preferred term. You gypped me. Exactly. That kind of yeah. technology. Or not technology. Uh, slang. But, but, you know, you know, slang frank. words that we use. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like I can't think of Dr. Doom ever having an accent in any of the media I've seen him in outside of right. products. He's always so, just a guy. So he should. He definitely should. Unless he's so brilliant that he just gets rid of it for some reason. But probably um, Dr. Doom should be considered a person of color. Right. Yeah. Because he's descended from Northwestern India. But now he's just really red and hamburger color. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know there is at least one other major comic book superhero who is also Romani? Oh, in Marvel or DC? Give me a hint. DC. Okay, let me think. Romani. I don't know. No, I can't think of anything. Dick Grayson. Is he really? Yeah. Wow, I must have missed that one. Is that in Teen Titans or something? I don't know when it was established. I didn't even realize it until um, Corey mentioned it on one of her shows. Uh, I think the Supergirl Power Hour, maybe. Or maybe it was... I don't know. His last name's Grayson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, you know, raised and, you know, lives in United States and his family's been here for however long. Um, although in more modern tellings, the term Grayson is because like he's the gray son of Gotham or something like that. I don't know. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, he is also Romani. Wow. So when I talked about the ethnicity there since this is an itinerant people, 
And since Dick Grayson's been living in the United States, some of that ethnicity may be blended with others because of, you know, centuries of intermarrying and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but. Boy, they sure make them white in the movies, don't they? The parents yeah. and, and Dick and all that. Yeah. But when I think of Dr. Doom, I think of a person with an accent who's in Eastern Europe. Like, that's how I think of him. Yeah, I don't know if I ever thought about the accent part before we read this, but definitely I think of him being from this part of the world because I know this origin. I knew this origin when we first encountered him. Um, yeah. But there's not a whole lot else I have to say. Um, some of the stuff when he's getting his revenge on the uh, the monarchy reminded me of Diablo. Um which I didn't really mind. It's just that we just had that story idea in the Fantastic uh, Four monthly book. You mentioned that somehow he took control of the people who found him and rescued him in the winter. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. When I first read that, I was like, oh, how do you do that? But then I realized, oh, no, that's one of his superpowers. He always does that. <laughs> every <laughs> time, <laughs> every time he gets rescued by somebody, he takes them over. Yes. Yes, he does. He did that with the space aliens, didn't he? And the miniature people. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just his thing. Somehow he oh, tricks wow. people into thinking he's the leader. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Never rescue Dr. Doom unless you want him to <laughs> be your leader. When he puts on the face mask, did you hear the Revenge of the Sith Darth Vader mask sounds in your brain? Like the... No, I heard sizzling. Okay. I heard sizzling burning skin that he should have been screaming over, but... I have often thought that Darth Vader's design and look is inspired by young George Lucas reading Dr. Doom comics. I absolutely agree with you. I don't know if this has ever been actually admitted by him, but how could it not be? It's armor with fabric, right? With with night, like nightly looking fabric around it. And if that, if that Darth Vader hood, if that were fabric too, it'd be a clincher. Yeah. Like there's no other way. Yeah. But he's got the same tunic shape. It's just black instead of green. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just head-to-toe armor. Yeah, and you can't see his face. Come on. How could this yeah. not be? I even picture, like, or hear him in my head, like, Dr. Doom's voice having somewhat of an echo like Vader when he talks. Yeah, like the electronic. Yeah. Not the breathing part, per se, but, like, Vader always has, like, this sound like, he's, um, like his voice is coming out of a microphone or something. Right. Okay, the last note I had on the story, actually, was we finally, finally, finally get Victor... And Reed having a reason to hate each other. It's yes, Reed is being nice and Victor's a jerk. Well, just like like Doctor Doom's animosity towards the Fantastic Four is traditionally thought of as being animosity towards Reed, mm-hmm. and we've never we we've only seen like the barest hints of that in our stories so far. And this, like you know, Reed tells Victor, your math is off. Reed goes through Victor's notes. Reed tries to live with Victor and Victor doesn't like him. So like, there's like a, like there's a one-on-one mm-hmm. animosity there. Yeah. Now to be fair, Dr. Doom brought that animosity with on a chip himself. on a chip on his shoulder. than when he, when he arrived, cause he's, ha- he's hated everybody since his dad died. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically I think what he really doesn't like is that Reed was right. That his, yes. math, his math was off and it ruined his life. Now, why? Of course, Reed hates Doom now, but he probably didn't then, I would imagine. In fact, see, no. he seems awfully affable for Reed. Usually, Reed is portrayed as someone who doesn't socialize very well. But in this, he's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm Mr. College. Yeah, I have a feeling that his, um, his spectrum characteristics might have gotten stronger over time. I, yeah, I agree with you. Because right now, he's like the hero. He's, yeah. the, he's the good-looking 
hero that has the fan club full of teenage girls. Certainly my own psychiatric difficulties have gotten stronger over time. So I can see uh, how that might have happened. With yeah, him. yeah. Um, so what do you think of like Dr. Doom working with Hank Pym in the lab, though? That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just assumed that was him. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I think it's pretty solid. This was my favorite story of the book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it informs a lot of the later. I mean, all the Latveria stuff in here is never brought into other Fantastic Four stuff. But him getting pulled into the school where Reed Richards was, him being super arrogant towards Reed, even him being mistaken in his math and Reed trying to correct him and Doom ignoring him and that being part of the explosion that causes faults for Doom. Mm -hmm. All that stuff has been brought in over and over and over again in the Ultimate Comics, in the movies. Mm -hmm. Like That whole dynamic seems to be the core of Victor Von Doom's origin story. Victor Von Doom wants to be smarter than Reed Richards. Right. That's his whole reason for existing. Other than taking over the world. That's secondary. And now the explosion that turns him into Victor Von Doom is often made the same explosion as what turns the Fantastic Four into them. So do you think in the future we're going to get a Doctor Doom, uh, Boris heartfelt moment, all of like Bruce Wayne and Alfred and, hey, you're, you've always been my real dad? Or do you think he's just going to kill Boris for bringing his tea too late one day. <laughs> I feel like Boris sticks around, but I haven't actually looked that up. Mm. What's weird is that Dr. Doom gets a solo series in the early seventies. Cause he's and, awesome. Yeah. And I, I want to read that. Cause like, there's like Latvian uprising and Dr. Doom politics and people like be, the, uh, a son he never knew he had. And like, I want to read all that stuff. And, and this like put me in the mood for that. Yeah. Well, we'll never get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, never will. All right. Should we go on now? Yeah, let's go on. All right. So um, this book has a lot of the similar kinds of features as the Amazing Spider-Man annual. We get the Gallery of Heroes, which was actually begun in the first Fantastic Four annual. Mm-hmm. And this just picks up where that one left off. Right. So we get the Super Scroll. We get Rama Tut, the Pharaoh from the future. We get the Molecule Man. The hate monger, the infant terrible, because that's not how you translate that, and Diablo. Now, what's interesting about this is, unlike Spider-Man, where they kind of wrote the dial or the descriptions of the characters like straight, uh, in this they're doing it more of a behind-the-scenes style. Like we came up with this guy, but we're not really sure. Blah blah blah. You know, so yeah. this is a little more interesting read. Like your infant terrible one, you hated. Apparently, lots of people hated because they even say right here. Some of you thought we were nuttier than usual to have a villain from out of the infant of an infant from outer space. Others thought it was the greatest literary inspiration since Little Orphan Annie. As for us, we naturally remain as confused as ever. So that's not really like a straight laced dial or you know bio of these things. It's more like a what kind of feedback we got. Ramatut. They talk about right. how he's a descendant, but we're not really sure. Wait and find out, and you'll see. Because we're not and sure that gets either. Into the actual story of you know. Because mm-hmm. the stuff about Ramatab being descended from Doom was not in the Fantastic Four issue before. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Right, I don't think it was, but, but I can't remember. It's it's brought in here. Yeah. Um, we then get a reprint of the first Doctor Doom story in full with several pinups along the way, so that takes up a good chunk of the annual. So if you want to pause this episode and quickly go back and listen to episode three of our show, right? We'll talk about that and then come back. 
we'll should we just a- start putting should we just start putting our coverage of the old issues in the annual specials as reprints yeah just just edit out the hulk because there was only two issues we covered on that episode so get rid of hulk number one and just put ff number five in there that's back when we were trying to stick these things to an hour yeah yeah how and, silly how silly of us as yeah, we go right. on to hour two talking about two issues right so the fabulous Fantastic Four fall victims of the final victory of Doctor Doom. They fall oh, victims no. of his victory. The final victory, yeah. So last one. This is like um, <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the last chapter. Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. <laughs> you think Stan gets so hyperbolic that he confuses himself? Right. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is a Stan Lee story spectacular. It's a Jack Kirby illustrative ideal. It's a Schickstone delineation delight. And it's a Sam Rosen lettering landmark. The Fantastic Four are flying their Fantastic Car and they're about to crash because Ben Grimm can't pilot, evidently. And um, they land on the street and they accidentally hit this really, really old model car. And the guy's like, You burnt my fender! And the thing is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I guess I'll just smash it some more. You're big clumsy nut. And then a guy walks away. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Hey, old guy, this car, can I buy it from you for a thousand dollars? A thousand dollars. That's a, that's a lot of comic books. Sure. I'll take it. And he's like, okay, great. It's my car. I can do whatever I want to it. Right? Sure. Whatever. Thing, beat it up. And he tells the thing to, like, smash up the car. And the thing smashes up the car. And the guy's like, great. Now it's a piece of modern art. And um, he's like, I I don't even understand. Let's just go because this is crazy. (laughs) So crazy, in fact, that we change scenes to outer space. Last time we saw Dr. Doom, he was floating through space. Because, like, that building they were fighting in, like, the walls turned into space. Like, at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger. And the Dr. Doom Loki'd out. Not Loki'd out, but Red Skull out the window. Um, Now he's in space and he gets picked up by Ramatut, the pharaoh from the future, who's just cruising by. I think for Ramatut, this is like five minutes after his fight with them in issue 19. It's been a little while for us, but, you know, time travel. He's flying through space and he sees Dr. Doom, picks him up and they start talking about how they fought the the Fantastic Four and they're really bothered by it. And then they're like, wait a second, I'm using a time machine. That was made by my ancestor, Dr. Doom. And Dr. Doom's like, you're my descendant, but you're a time traveler and you're from the past. What if, what if you're me? What if I used to be you and, and all this other stuff that doesn't make any sense when really they just need to stick to the idea that they're related and they're time travelers and that's okay. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that, but that's okay. Um, Ramatud hooks up Doom with um, a, a, a spaceship to go back to Earth. He sends Dr. Doom back to earth and he flies off to become Kang. Um, the fantastic four are hanging out when um, I forget. I think it's at the UN building in New York. The Latvian ambassadors are having a meeting and Dr. Doom just like walks in and there's this thing that's introduced here about how no one knows that Dr. Doom is actually the monarch of Latveria. Latveria has a prime minister as the public head of government, but there are rumors of a secret shadow ruler of the of the uh, country. And so where Dr. Doom just like walks into the UN building because there's no security, um, the Latvian amba- uh, prime minister or ambassador or whatever sees him from a distance like, oh, wait a second, this meeting's over. Um, I got to go pee. Bye. And he goes over and talks to Dr. Doom. Um, Dr. Doom says, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to have a party and we're going to invite the Fantastic Four. So Fantastic Four are hanging out and they get a 
invitation to a party, a Latvian reception. Like, hey, let's wear our Fantastic Four uniforms instead of uh, getting dressed up because that's what they want us to do. And they go to the party and they all drink the juice. Except for Reed Richards. He thinks the juice is suspicious. It's suspicious juice. <laughs> and um, so everyone who drank the juice, as the party goes on, they start seeing things. Johnny sees Ben giving him a hard time. Reed sees, uh, I'm sorry, Sue sees Reed cheating on her. Um, I don't know if the thing sees anything suspicious, but whenever he gets attacked by the torch... Uh, that that starts a fight there. Anyways, all the Fantastic Four are totally mad at each other now, and they're fighting each other. And Doctor Doom is like hanging out behind a, a door. He he he! It's working perfectly. They're killing each other just like I planned. While they're doing that, I'm gonna go to the bathroom over here and like look in the mirror. Um, it's been a while since I take my mask off. Let's see. If, oh my god! My face really is just as bad as I thought. It's so horrible. No one can ever see my face. It looks like an avocado had sex with an older, <laughs> uglier avocado. And like, in like, it was hate sex. Like, there, there were problems in the relationship. That's what it looks like. And put this mask back on. Um, anyways. <laughs> so, Reed is like, dudes, y'all were totally juiced. And imagining stuff we're friends remember we're a family and let's go fight dr doom so they do they go fight dr doom and um i forget exactly what all happens with the fight except that there are some cool scenes with all them getting to use their powers at one point um sue makes dr doom invisible and then like puts a bunch of invisible balls under his feet to make him trip up and fall but um anyways reed richards is like okay you know what stop fighting my family this is between you and me ever since that accident long years ago. So let's have a toast and then let's battle it out to the finish. And Dr. Dim is like, fine, drink, bring me your drink. We'll toast this and then we'll fight each other. And so Dr. Dim drinks the drink. They get this mental doohickey who's a what's it that plugs up to their brains. So they can basically have a Professor Xavier mental battle. But, you know, it's Reed and Dr. Doom with, you know, electronic support and aid and whatever. And Dr. Doom totally kills Reed Richards, like makes him vanish from the face of the earth with this mental power enhancer. He's like, ha, you all saw it. I killed Reed Richards. I'm the master. I leave now knowing that I have beaten your leader. That is enough of my life. I can die happy. And he walks away. And the Fantastic Four are like, what was that all about? And Reed Richards, who never died, is like, yeah, I gave him some sort, some of the uh, suspicious juice in the toast. So um, suspicious. Now he <laughs> he just totally imagined all of that stuff, and he thinks he beat us, and he's happy. He's going to go live his life. We're going to go live our lives, and that was the final victory of Doctor Doom. Yep. I wonder if he ever lived on Yancey Street. Uh, I wonder if he ever returns. Never. This was this was the last time that we're ever going to see Doctor Doom. How dare you insinuate otherwise? <laughs> Uh, this was so, not as good as the first one. Um, there's some problems, but it was still fun. Yeah, it's kooky, but it was fun. Yeah. What I think is interesting is the whole structure of this book. Uh-huh. Like, lots of annuals have villain origin stories. Yeah. And lots of annuals have reprints. Those are just usually behind the story that features the team. Like uh, the main characters, right, right, and 
And this this book leads with an origin story for Doctor Doom. Now, it's better that way. Mm-hmm. And then putting the reprint between the two stories as like a chronological series of events, it works. It's just an interesting choice because you almost never do it like this. Did we say out loud what the reprint was? Yeah, did, right? it was the first. Yeah, the first story of Doctor Doom. So it's the one where they like go in the past and Blackbeard the, the pirate the thing is Blackbeard the pirate and all that stuff. Yeah, and Doctor Doom is like barely Doctor Doom in it, like. Almost nothing that we think of as Dr. Doom is in that story. So, yeah, because there was no origin, really, other than Reed doing the whole, I think I remember this guy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it does make more sense to put the origin in front of this, in front of that, um, chronologically, anyway. I had wondered, actually, speaking of that origin story, I had thought as we were finishing the origin of Dr. Doom, I was like, now, how is this going to work if he is the leader of Latveria and the ruler of this other country? Then why is it that Reed Richards is like, Victor Von Doom or Dr. Doom, that sounds like somebody I knew a long time ago. I don't even know who this guy is, though. I barely remember. Yeah. But he's the leader of a country. Well, but we but, don't, nobody knows that. Yeah. So when you get to the last story and they bring in the idea of a shadow ruler that no one knows about, that's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Which also explains why of, this is the first time Reed has said that he has diplomatic immunity and he has to let him go. They've never said that before. Hmm. Although he just assumes he has diplomatic immunity. Just because you're from another country, does that automatically mean you have diplomatic immunity? If I think you're... if you are a head of state. Wow, really? another country. Okay. Yeah. And does that I allow think... you to get away with crime? Because I don't think that's true either. I think that's a movie thing. Okay. It, it, it's only something I've ever heard of in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only ever heard of that in movies and comics and books. That if you are a highly placed government individual from another country, and right. you come to America and you commit a crime... There's not a whole lot we can do about it. I think Lethal Weapon 2 introduced that concept to my generation. Okay. Diplomatic immunity. And then the guy gets shot. He says, it's just been revoked. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, I have been waiting for this Rama Tut scene ever since we covered uh, issue 19. So boy, does it not work. What the it, hell are they talking about? Sorry to use like- such horrible language, Aunt May, but that makes no sense. <laughs> It is admittedly nonsensical in the one part where they're trying to work out their time stuff, but like everything else around that, I really like. And Stanley has admitted that it's nonsensical. He was trying to convey the confusing possibilities of time travel. Yeah, but why would they not know that they're the same person if that was the case? You know what I mean? Like, why would they both have no memory of that? I totally agree. Yeah. I am going to just throw this out there. Back to the Future has done a lot to solidify the concept of time travel mm-hmm. in the sci-fi genre. Right. Before Back to the Future, time travel stories made a lot less sense. Yeah. At least in my in my own reading and watching experience, time travel stories before Back to the Future often do some really weird batshit stuff. And I thought that they had mentioned that he was related to Doctor Doom in his first appearance, but I was scrolling back while you were doing your recap and they sure did not. They said his ancestor invented time travel. Right. An ancestor. They didn't and say this who. one, that ancestor is Dr. Doom. But then we all know eventually that this is not true. Right? Yeah. Um, or yeah, is I don't know if true? Dr. Doom invented time travel, but no. he created that time travel machine. That Ramatut and Dr. Doom are not the same person or related. I thought they were related. I thought Ramatut is really Kang or something, isn't he? Isn't everybody Kang? I think Ramatut is Kang, but I think he's also descended from Dr. Doom. Is he really? Is Kang descendant of Dr. Doom? I think so. My goodness. I I don't disbelieve you because Kang is so convoluted. Like, I believe anything about Kang, essentially, at this point. 
My understanding is that Kang is a descendant of both Doom and Reed and was inspired to do time travel by a descendant of Reed Richards. And is both Kang, Immortus, uh, the Scarlet Centurion, Ramatut, and the Scarlet Centurion. All four of those. All and four Iron of Lad. Those. And Iron Lad, yes. Wow. I got to read Avengers Forever again. I remember that cleared up some of it. But <laughs> um, my introduction to Kang was. Um, in some annuals uh-huh. when they did Citizen Kang as the annual crossover. Uh-huh. And there was a backup that like chronicled and tried to put in some sort of, uh, co- you know, coherent narrative, all of the different Kang stories. Kang is freaking cool. He's just really confusing sometimes, but right. And he does really cool stuff with like the multiverse and like, you know, there's so many different elements of Kang from different parts of his own timeline that there's a whole council of Kangs. Yeah. So when you encounter Kang, you never know which Kang you're even dealing, right. Can dealing you imagine- with. You're like in your in your early forties. Yeah. Can you imagine like early forties, Mike? Early thirties, Mike? Early twenties, Mike? Yeah. All having like meetings on a regular basis. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know how that probably, would work in terms of changing my timeline, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how the time travel mechanics on that would work. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in here that actually. I mean, I wrote down some random stuff like. They're all having that juice, but legal drinking age in New York is 1964 was 18, which is probably why it's juice and not wine. Uh-huh. I did think that was funny. Like, oh, oh don't, um, don't drink the juice. Oh, it's too late. I did. Why? Uh, forget it. It's probably fine. I mean, I think it's horrible, but it's probably fine. <laughs> okay. I know that Doom is horribly scarred. Uh-huh. I didn't realize just how vain he was about it. Like, it seems to be, like, one of the motivating factors for his hatred of the world is being Dr. Doom. Yeah, I kind of always was under the impression he didn't care that much. He, like, looks at himself. He's like, I can't. It's worse than I remember. I must destroy the mirror. Drive it from my side and my mind. That said, I'm trying to find where it says that he last looked. It's been a while, so he doesn't look all the time. Um, I think the last time we saw him look was issue 10. Okay. The one where he and Reed, like, swapped minds. Seems like a bad time to look. But that's just yeah. me. That was his Down. third story. And it was like when he was meeting with Stan and Jack, he takes his mask off right there in their studio. Without the ring? That makes no sense. <laughs> How could he possibly get that mask off? He needs the ring. Yeah. I, why do you need a ring? What is with the ring? Why are they coming up with this ring business? I don't even know. I had no, will never show up again. At no point did I ever think, how does Dr. Doom take his mask off? You know? Right. Let's answer that like, with the ring. He just takes his mask off, right? Mm-hmm. When I want to take my mask off, I just take my mask off. Yes. Um, the Fantastic Four fight each other or fight illusions of each other. I feel like they've done that before somehow. Um, oh, yeah. Them fighting each other, being tricked into hating each other. This has only happened like 70 times before. Right. They need to stop. They need to start getting over this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Like, I, I think the human torch that's coming through the wall to attack the thing is the thing's uh, uh, illusion. But it's kind oh, of okay. hard to read that way. It's hard to tell. Because it could also be, like, the illusion that attacked Johnny made Johnny want to flame on and attack the thing. So it could be Johnny. Mm-hmm. But it may not be Johnny because later they hit each other in the hallway. So it was a little confusing. Right. And then this juice thing in general is kind of weird because I think at some point Reed is like, yes, this juice that allows me to implant imagery into your brain. Like, how did that work? I think it's the real Johnny because he says you're a fine one to talk after what you just did. Good point. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. 
But yeah. I mean, their their like relationship hangups with each other mm-hmm. keep getting brought to the forefront, and they keep on like getting triggered by. Oh wait, my family secretly hates me. I must fight them. Isn't it cool that like Invisible One is always or Invisible Girl is always the best at fighting Doctor Doom? Isn't she though? Like, didn't she beat him up with karate last time they fought? Yes, I've been trained by Reed Richards. And she just straight up destroys him, even though he thought he had her trapped in a room and stuff. And she just, like, turns the table. And now she's, like, turning him invisible, making him fall over and, like, throwing rocks and stuff at him. And it was just pretty cool. Okay, Didn't I work, just saw something but, cool. Yeah? Uh, page 16, going back to the place where he takes off his mask. Uh-huh. For one, um, the line I was trying to remember earlier where he's, like, driven by his face being terrible. He's like, will it be any happier once I defeated the Fantastic Four? No victory or triumph can ever restore my face to me. No conquest can make me the man I was. Mm-hmm. But while he's angsting over that, look at that torch. <laughs> it's like a lizard alien monster hand with fire coming out of the fingers. Uh-huh. I love that. Classic, I want one of those. classic Bulgarian art. Right. Latvian art? Latvian art. Well, you know, he could get Bulgarian art. It's right next door. Yeah, yeah um, he could. Yeah, in Secret Wars, when he gains uh, Beyonder's powers, the first thing he does is fix his face. So I guess he is vain. Yeah, yeah. Just that, it's not one of those things I normally think of with him. Mm-hmm. Is that like you know his his face being terrible is like one of his driving factors. Mm-hmm. Also, Reed is a misogynist to his core. Um, oh, oh, Reed, yeah. you've been such a fool. Not a fool, Sue. Merely a female. <laughs> you couldn't have reacted differently. Every female would react the exact same way you did. It's part right. of your genes. And the three of you are going to go after him. What about me? Not this time, Sue. Doom is too dangerous. I can't allow you to take the risk. And like the others have to convince him that Sue can fight. Yeah, so that is confusing to me because now it's like, well, what are you trying to say, San? Because on the one hand, you're writing the words of Reed who's saying you're just a girl. On the other hand, you're writing the words of Johnny and the Thing who's saying, no, she can hold her own. You're crazy. So are you saying, are you trying to convince us that Reed is a misogynist or... What? Yeah. It's it's, it's bipolar. Weird. Yeah. It is weird. Well, I think I think even over gallantry like this is misogyny. Like trying to protect her beyond what she needs is not a good attitude to have. So maybe what he's trying to do in this plot point is he has Thing and Human Torch giving us a reason for Sue to be there, but he also wants to convey that Reed Richards is a man's man. And wouldn't ever put his girl in harm's way if it wasn't for the thing in Human Torch outvoting him. I guess. I guess. I'm not yeah. sure. Otherwise, I'm not sure what he's trying to say. When when she leaves the team to take care of her baby, is kind of it's at the same time the most understandable because she does. You know, there is the whole parenting aspect. Although why he's not leaving the team to take care of the baby that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, someone does have to take care of the baby, so it's kind of understandable that she's leaving. Um, but this, when he was just like, I love her, therefore I can't let her fight. No, that's 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 not cool. Yeah, especially since we've already had like, uh, you know, 30 issues of the Fantastic Four. 30 flipping issues. And like you said, she's beaten Dr. Doom. And she does it on again. On more than one occasion. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, it's as weird. we finish up, the rivalry between Reed and Doom is brought to the fore. And then... Reed makes a comment on that last page, one, two, three, four, five, in the middle column on the bottom, as head of a foreign nation, no matter how small he's entitled to diplomatic immunity. You mentioned that earlier, but how does Reed know that Dr. Doom is the head of Latveria? How does that ever get brought up? 
So I wasn't sure if they, because they say like over and over again, they're not sure who rules, but did they ever reveal it? I don't think they did. Or does they just assume that? I don't think Ree should be able to assume that. Yeah, you'd think he'd just think he was a villain in the castle. Right. They're at the Latverian party and Doctor Doom shows up. Um, Re- or human. The closest they come is, is Johnny is flirting with a girl behind his girlfriend's back. And he asks, I've met all the Dukes, but who's your king? Oh, uh, we have no king. We are ruled by the one who is known as the Master. And then he gets interrupted by the thing hologram, you know, shouting at him to kiss when her. When he sees Doom, he does say, as I suspected. But I'm trying to figure out exactly how much he suspected. Well, apparently enough to decide that he has diplomatic immunity. So I guess right. he, I guess he's just intelligent and figured it out. But they don't really come out and say. They say it's the prime minister, Sue. But strangely enough, no one seems to be sure. That's on page 10. Um, yeah. So I guess he just suspected. So um, he's connecting some dots that are kind of far apart. He suspects the juice. He has a weird feeling about the juice. There's no reason for him to have a weird feeling about the juice, but he does. He doesn't like the juice. And that's the only place where he's over suspicious. And later on, he's like, doom, just as I suspected. Because yeah. he, knows the, he knows the juice made them all fight each other. So, and they serve the juice at the banquet. At the Latverian banquet. Yeah. So if he knows that Latveria has a shadow ruler... If Latveria gave them the juice and the juice made them go bad and Doom was behind it all, then maybe Doom's the ruler of Latveria. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a leap in logic, but there's just enough there that might make sense. Yeah, because if like Pacepot Pete had decided to infiltrate Latverian embassy and slip him a juice, they probably wouldn't have gone to that conclusion. Pacepot Pete, right. <laughs> <laughs> Pacepot Pete is the ruler of Latveria? Who rules Latveria? Pete. All hail King Pete. You mean the precursor to Spider-Man? <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> okay. Um, well, that was pretty good. I don't know. That you know, that was that was a I'm tired. annual. I, I think I preferred the um Spider-Man one, but oh, yeah. I like the Fantastic Four one too. They're both really I think the Fantastic Four one is bigger because of the origin story. Well, Sinister Six pretty important in Spider-Man's life though. But yes, Doctor Doom is a big villain. No, I'm sorry. I think that uh, the, the Doom origin story is more important to that annual than the Fantastic oh, Four story. Oh, yes, yes. I agree with you. That, the second story wasn't as fun, but it was okay. Yeah, it was all right. Whew. This might be the longest episode we've ever done. Yeah, and we only did two. Uh, we should have just done one annual at a time, maybe. <laughs> well, it's, you know, the King Size specials. We've got our King Size special episode. Yeah. You know how it is with 60 first episodes. They have to be really big. Yeah. When Sergeant Fury annual comes around, we'll just do one. Maybe. Yeah, or, or, or maybe an annual, an annual and a regular. Yeah, yeah, something like that. All right. Well, I guess it's time for wrap-ups. Yeah. Should we talk about where they can find us and thank people for following us, all that jazz? Okay, well, you can find us while you look up the thank yous. I'll tell them where they can find us. They can find us by searching Make Ours Marvel on any of your uh, appy things that do podcasts. Or if you're not sure about that, you can go to makeoursmarvel.com where there's a direct link to our RSS feed that you can plug into any of your podcast playing stuff or if you can't figure that out you can just play the episodes directly at makearsmarvel.com because every episode has a post with you know the play button on it uh there's also links to our facebook and twitter and if you like us there you'll get updates and john will thank you 
on one of these recordings like he's going to do in five seconds. And then last but not least, there's a contact form or you could mail us directly at uh, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. As of this recording, it's been a while since we've done a mailer, but we're probably going to do one pretty soon. So that's always true. So just write in and we'll read it on air. We will. We will. Um, Okay. I think that I have thanked Daniel Ulrich and Jesper D. Gunst for following us. I think is where I left off. Um, we definitely did Adelan Rising. You should just put, like, with Chris a felt-tip marker, you should put a line on your monitor. Yeah, I should just underline them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, dorky, Geeky, Nerdy, a trivia podcast under at Dorky underscore Nerdy. It's a uh, trivia podcast for dorks, geeks, and nerds. Come out every week. Thank you for following the show. Russell Gibson and Adam Phillips. Adam does a blog at the Hitchcock report.wordpress.com where he writes about the life and career of Alfred Hitchcock. So thank you for supporting the show. Scott Edelman is a Stoker Award nominated writer and Huger Huger Hugo Award nominated editor of science fiction, fantasy and horror. He's a host of Eating the Fantastic podcast. He has also had his hand in a number of Marvel comic books from the 1970s. So Scott has been a big supporter of the show as he's working through the old episodes. He tweets about us. And thank you very much, Scott, for all your support of the show. Um, Matt is at Tony Uncleal 19. Uh, VFS is um, at Camera M and a string of numbers. Edward, Edward the underscore third, who likes comic books and tennis, as well as Buffy. At the Uncollecting, Dr. G Nerdologist at Pulp 2 Pixel, the head of the Pulp 2 Pixel Podcasting Network. Um, Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I'm a blogger and podcaster exploring the media multiverse of geek culture. And the Pulp 2 Pixel is the home of several, several podcasts, um, including, oh gosh, I was going to try to remember some off the top of my head and now I'm blinking. Um, but the What If podcast is over there. Uh, I think there's an alpha flight podcast or maybe it's just hmm. um must be retweeting them i'm looking on his page to see what else what other podcasts are on his page but i'm obviously bad at life but yeah the pulp two pixel at pulp number two pixel go check out their podcast coffee and comics is at coffee comics blg a blogger and podcaster who talks comics and comic related things and contributes to the batmanuniverse.net say hi to dustin for me um at Cody, I'm sorry, not at uh, Cody Jeter at Freeze92 likes magic, baseball, and history. Double Down Drew can't spell weird without D R E and W, so he's Drew. GPM1000, let's talk Blackstar. Like all these Let's Talk accounts that have become a really big thing in the last like six months or so, his is about the old cartoon, Blackstar. Wow. Um, not sure I know what that is. It's from the 80s. Well, and I should. I think that was, yeah, a cartoon and, and a comic. Um, Star sword in hand, I, John Blackstar, together with my allies, set out to save planet Sagar. Wow. This is my destiny. I am John Blackstar. He also has at Let's Talk MOTU as in Masters of the Universe. Okay. Cool. Um, and the last couple are Matt at Ronan Ark and Bob Manoilovich at Bob Manoilovich. And that's a name that seems familiar to me. I think we've been in the same circles for a lot of years, which is why I recognize his name anyways. Um, so thank you all very much for uh, following us on Twitter. We always, always appreciate retweets. 
mentioning us as you're listening to the shows, any way of getting um, our name into the eyeballs of other people in your circles is a great way to support the show. Uh, we now have passed 300 Twitter followers. We're 310 currently. Woo-hoo. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so what's our, uh, what's our homework for next time? So we're back to three issues again, three regular size puny issues. So no problem there. We got journey into mystery number 108, where Thor looks to be fighting Loki. So that should be unique and, and unusual. We got the, the X-Men number seven, where the blob returns with the brotherhood of evil right behind him. So there you go. And tales to astonish for the first time since he became homeless. The Hulk has a home again. And I don't know what happens in the issue because all they want to tell me on the cover is that Giant Man and Hulk are now in the same book. So those are our three. Yes. Um, I honestly have been waiting to get to the Hulk ongoing series for a long time. Mm-hmm. Steve Ditko has a Hulk run, and I feel like that's never given enough recognition. Well, we so ended with talk about Ditko, so that's cool that he's picking it up. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. That's a, that's a neat uh, connection. Um, okay. And over on Facebook, we have been liked by Adam R. Phillips and John Riley, Ryan McGrew, Herman Lowe, Jeff Overturf, James K. Holly, Alessandro Manito, and Kevin Arthur O'Donnell. So thank you for liking the show over at Facebook and uh, sharing our posts always uh, makes us happy over there as well. Um, All right. Well, this has been a big, fat episode. I think it is time to wrap things up. You have anything else for us, Mike? Are we done? We are done. All right. Well, until next time or until Aunt May decides that slang is actually fun and she starts using it or misusing it all the time. Make ours marvel. marvel.